<clears throat> so I'll just say one, two, three. <clears throat> one, two, three. Yeah, I'm gonna say one, two, three. Then I'll I'll say hello. But let me yeah, uh, let me do okay. it. Okay. <laughs> we just hiked. It's 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 mowing. It's pollen season. Right, right. I took some drugs, so hopefully. <clears throat> Flonase. <laughs> it's the hardest drug around. Yeah. <laughs> I free base it. <laughs> they didn't say you couldn't do that. It may not may not work the way you wanted to. If you do that, I, I wouldn't recommend that. Yeah, you do void the warranty and the uh, I guess the uh, you take on all liability. So it doesn't point. it doesn't have any effect on your nose that way. <laughs> Welcome to RPG Ramblings with Jeff Jones. This is a weekly show exploring the various details of the tabletop RPG hobby through discussions with interesting people. This week, Clayton Notstein is back and we discuss all things post-apocalypse. Two hours and 35 minutes of conversation? Does that mean that we pack a lot of value into this podcast? Or is it merely an act of self-indulgence at the expense of you, the listener? Well, that is for you to judge. There's no point in making this podcast any longer by drawing out the introduction. Sisters and brothers... It's time to get rambling. Hello, Clayton. Hey, Jeffrey. So, are you ready to talk about post-apocalyptic goodness? Uh, no one's ready for the post-apocalypse, <laughs> but I'm, but no, 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 yeah, I am. I am ready. Yeah. So you're not a prepper, is what you're saying? No, no. I uh, I like people. Okay. <laughs> Well, you can, you can just like them now, but just hate them when the apocalypse happens. <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna open up with like real hot takes that, so I can really isolate myself from certain audience members. Yeah, no. Uh, so no, I'm not a prepper. Okay, okay. So anyway, um, the the uh, so I think before we go too far into post-apocalypse, you know, we, we want to mm-hmm. probably kind of define, even though I know you and I, you know, are not. We're not uh, post-apocalyptic scholars. We don't have any degrees that would give us any creds that we can provide the definitive definition. But I think an, an idea is kind of kind of what are the boundaries, and, and or at least what we kind of think are boundaries. So, what do you, what do you th- think of for a post-apocalypse? Like, what are some defining points of it? Hmm. Well, first off, I want to uh, disagree with you. I lived around Detroit in the '90s. Oh. I know what post-apocalypse is. That's what. No. <laughs> So that's as uh, close no. as you can get to a post-apocalypse without actually bombs dropping. Yeah, like suburbs and stuff. But uh, <laughs> no. Uh, so when I think of post-apocalypse, I think of, uh, I mean, obviously there's a concept of like there has to have been a before time, an event, an inciting incident, and then the post-apocalypse is whatever that time frame afterwards. So that event, <clears throat> so the question is now, so is that event, like, does it, I guess in my mind, it has to be like almost like on a worldwide scale or a massive yeah. scale. So I have to imagine, right? So yeah. if it's a small scale, but could it be an apocalypse on a small scale? Yeah. Yeah. No, because uh, I would consider uh, like Stalker to be a sort of post apocalypse storyline, but that's really only set in like the Chernobyl sort of Eastern Europe. Part of the world, right? Isn't it? I don't. I'm not familiar with Stalker. Okay. Yeah. No. So Stalker is uh, a movie. It's it's a it's it's basically based off of uh, the the inciting incident is. And I'm going to really take off some real movie nerds, 
But uh, Stalker is essentially set in Eastern Europe around the Chernobyl area. The Chernobyl incident has happened and the radiation is causing the fabric of reality to twist oh. and curdle in on itself. And horrible things, as one might expect, go awry in this region. But uh, it's that, to me, is very post-apocalyptic. It's got all the touchstones. You are, there are factions. There are people going through ruins. They're scavenging constantly. There's unknowable horror and a bunch of other things that we can get into later of what it, what it is in a post-apocalypse. But that is strictly limited to a smaller space. So what about, uh, so what about something? So, so there is an, a, something that's catastrophic. So I was trying to think is, because there is a movie coming out. I think it's, I can't remember who's, uh, Zach Smith's doing it, where there's like a zombie uh, infestation going. The zombies, they wall off Las Vegas. Oh, yes. And there's a group of people doing yeah. a heist inside yeah. zombie infested. Which is which is a great premise. Yeah, but they have to do it in a certain amount of time because they're going to drop a nuke. Yeah. Yeah, it's so cool. And uh, they reveal in the trailer that the zombies are not dumb. Ah. They're actually like kind of smart. Which make which is much more of like the original like I am legend like novelization or novel not right. novelization novel concept right? right there's a movilization yeah a movie version <laughs> and the movie versions almost all of them are the same way where they you know they 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 draw they make they first off they make the the bad guys the undead zombies instead of vampires which they are in the book and then they make them dumb as opposed to smart yeah. which is what they are and which is the kind of the whole point of the the name of the title and all that which i won't spoil but it's it's well worth the read to anyone who's interested in post-apocalypse sort of fiction yeah i think it, it so so i guess the question is that there needs to be some sort of disaster that needs to affect at least a, a fairly sizable area yeah, and it has to be irreversible, I think. So, or at least in the in the immediacy, right? Yeah, I mean, maybe there's a slow sort of recovery, but that I imagine that would be irrelevant to the uh, the people in the story. Yeah. So. And so, so yeah. So I was thinking, like, so then would would uh, so then like would Escape from New York be a post apocalyptic game? Oh, I, I, I personally think yes. Yeah, I think it definitely has the vibe. I think maybe whether or not it isn't, but I think I, I agree on the effect that as far as the characters are concerned, mm-hmm. I think as far as what they're experiencing, I think it is the, the same type of experiences of a post-apocalypse. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know what the event could possibly be except uh, American penal system attacks New York. You know, it's just, but like New York uh, is abandoned and turned into a mega, a mega prison. So yeah, no, I, I didn't even think of Escape from New York, but that's a really good example. And, and that's got a couple of touchstones that I think are like things that you expect from a post-apocalypse that make a post-apocalypse fun or interesting. Yeah. Is it both not only as like a genre, but as also something for you to play in a game? So, so what would be those other things that we think those do share that also that are common to, to, to the post-apocalypse? So when I think of a post-apocalypse, I think of uh, 
I think one of the main like touchstones is that anything that's familiar to us now is rendered alien or anything familiar is rendered alien in this apocalypse world, whether that's like mega structures from the past suddenly becoming something else or like people like masquerading, like, or, uh, having an alternate version of uh, certain concepts that exist in our now are made differently then. Like, I can't remember what the uh, skip from New York thing is, but they got like people who are like the King and they have gladiator games and stuff like that. But it's like in this twisted 1980s, John Carpenter, like hockey pads vibe. Yeah. Yeah. It, it And parts of New York are rendered into this weird caricature of itself in the post-apocalypse, like the, like the subway system and the and the bridges. Yeah, and and I like agree because there has to be something I think recognizable about yeah. like we need to somehow identify that this was something that could be our world except this thing happened. Yeah, you know it's like you know seeing a um, you know pictures of a of a of a ocean liner or whatever all of a sudden in the middle of of land or you know so yeah. halfway sticking in and halfway sticking out or whatever it may be you know so i think in many ways it's like you know that was that moment like say uh, planet of the apes you know even though they had humans it was the it was the uh, statue of liberty at the end yeah that kind of all of a sudden like zingo yeah the the infamous scene where he's on his hands and knees and yelling damn you <laughs> yeah no that's a, that's a great example or like uh I mean, everything in Mad Max is uh, like that to me is like the ultimate uh, post-apocalypse in, in the sense of like the most fun one to watch. Yeah. And that one like subverts a lot of stuff like uh, some of them, some of them are subtle, which makes them more interesting. Like, for instance, I know in the Mad Max Fury Road, like there's a scene where you see a bunch of people on stilts and what appears to be a swamp. And yeah. it's like, oh, this, the swamp is is the ocean. It's. It's what it's the what remains of a lake bed. Oh my god, I didn't I didn't realize that. There's nothing left of it. That that's it. Or uh, they, you know, the obviously just the the fact that the cars are rendered into something completely different. A semi truck is suddenly a war rig, a moving siege tower for the road. Right. It's still it's really recognizable, cool. but all of a sudden it takes on a is a machine of war rather than just a, yeah. you know, and. Uh, so if if that's the case, if if it has to be something that we kind of identify, then can there be a fantasy post-apocalypse? At least- well, you're 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 getting to the quick of it because uh, <laughs> the answer is yes. Uh, I, at least in my mind, and I I I seriously debated putting like old school uh, OSR games like like OD and D and stuff on the list, just because like, even they, their, their primary concept is like, there's an underworld and the underworld is filled with the past and you're digging it up because they're based on, uh, you know, Jack Vance novels and stuff like that. And like the magic objects belong to an era from the before time. Yeah. And that's where I kind of, that's where I start wondering, you know, in my mind, if that is going beyond a post-apocalypse. Yeah. I think to me, one of the defining moments is there's really no strong, uh, like s- stable, good government. I mean, there may be, you know, tyrants and petty oligarchs and 
but I don't know mm-hmm. that in general, it seems like there is no uh, large amount of like a, a large government, yeah. you know, that's able to uh, maintain control. Yeah. One of the things that uh, I think makes the ruins in the underworld of like OSR hard to describe as post-apocalypse is that when I think of post-apocalypse, I have to see like remnants of like normal society. Right. And normally in old school games, they're fantasy. It's like you're in dungeons where it's like, I have, you have no idea what what could possibly have been any normal reason for these things to exist. Rooms with uh, traps. There's no, there's no uh, old houses or like farmsteads in a uh, OSR dungeon. Normally there's no uh, signs for like pedestrians or like restaurants or even like a subway like tunnel, like your, your dungeon or a subway, subway tunnel. tunnel. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know there are some games where they've, uh, you know, specific modules, specific adventures that have played with that. And those ones are 100% post-apocalypse because they've indicated that in some way. Hmm. Okay. I'm trying to think there was one that I, I didn't play, but I read where you quickly catch on. It's like, Oh, this dungeon is uh, just uh, city streets yeah, and uh, like the like almost like the Holland Tunnel or something. Like there's there's these me- hunks of metal or cars. Right. See, and I think there's there's definitely room for that. Um, where, but I don't know. But if you just say, let's say for instance, I'm not saying like you can't have an apocalypse that's as far as that goes. But I mean, let's say, let's say like we'll take the like Greyhawk. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Like, could you like create a catastrophic event, same type of thing, um, but all of a sudden now they are um, in the same similar situation? But is that still considered post-apocalypse? Yeah, I don't know, and I'm I'm not sure what it is that makes it not feel like a post-apocalypse movie. Is that familiarity thing? Yeah, I think it. I think it needs to be. There's something. I think it needs to be something within a modern or maybe I think it could even be future timeline. Yeah. But I still think it has to be things are, we identify as moderns that, you know, yeah. Cause if it's, yeah, no, that sounds right. Because I think like, cause like uh, Numenera, are you familiar? Yes. So yeah, I'm familiar with Numenera. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, obviously those are all artifacts from, from over the last, you know, well, eight major civilizations over a billion years, whatever it is. But yeah. and they have all these things, but it it it's still just just a weird place, not an identifiable place. Yeah, and it also has that like classic Monty Cook. This world is weird beyond compare. Weird, <laughs> which, but I, but it did have some really it had some really cool ideas. Like I remember Numenera. There was a an entry that says that like the dust and the dirt is actually just granules of plastic. Yeah, yeah, or like rust, and like sort of iron filaments and things like that. I think what is left of uh, cities. They did a good job, I think with like setting it up, but I don't think they did a good job with enabling GMs to easily convey that sort of thing on the, at the table Mm -hmm. or through play. Yeah. Yeah, no. And, and there's also probably, there are activities that uh, a character in a post-apocalypse normally partakes in. Yeah, partly make it a post-apocalypse. Like it's not just the setting; it's also the way that 
the characters in that setting react to it and engage with it. I think to me, the other aspect with the post-apocalypse is there's a, um, there's generally a lack of important resources. Yeah. Scarcity. Yeah. So every, every, you know, every casing, every shell that you got for your gun is, mm-hmm. is important. Every, maybe every, you know, gallon of water you carry is important. I mean, everything, maybe not everything, but there's so many things are absolutely uh, something you have to contend with. And it becomes kind of very important that you, you know, that's where, you know, um, that is part of the story too, is, is that struggle. Yeah. Yeah, I know exactly. And then uh, I'm trying to think of what else I'm looking at this, this list I have on, on my table, t- my desk right now. <laughs> Got we got my cards in my hand, but there's also uh, an element of like meaning being lost or being uh, subverted. Like I'm having a hard time exa- exactly explaining it, but like take a take a value or a belief system that exists in the before, and then render it meaningless or completely misconstrued in the after. So like that, somebody gets a book and then they misunderstand the book and the book doesn't yeah. really mean this, but all of a sudden it leaves a, a religious cult to, yeah. to do certain things. Yeah. Like uh, a good example is like in Fallout, Fallout 3, the video game, there's there's a little atom bomb just sitting in the center of a town. It's got a crater and everything. And some people think it's a it's a blessing. They just look at it and they're like, "Oh wow!" Like it, it ticks. It makes me my head feel funny. This is a this is a thing from God, and and that's like that kind of thing. But then also like uh, the way in like Mad Max where they're like shiny and chrome. I'll see you in Val- Valhalla. And it's yeah. just it's complete nonsense. It's all it's like it's uh, as if somebody took all of like our belief structures and just sent them through a blender and they came out reassembled on the other side. Right. And the stuff they put the, the most importance on are just the things that are just to us are just like, I don't understand why this yeah. is that important. It's sometimes like uh, a part of post-apocalypse that I always think is funny or really interesting is when uh, it's entertainment in our world becomes not entertainment in the post-apocalyptic world where mean? they like, like, uh, I think of uh, Cloud Atlas. There's a really schlocky movie made in our time that's not very good. It's like a it's like a Hallmark movie, but in the future where there is no new media and all of it's been destroyed, and this one movie there's only a fraction of it, and people think it's the most amazing thing ever because it is uh, depicting an emotional moment in the movie, and they've never seen it before. So they're like, "Oh, this is." This is the greatest art there is. This is this is monumental piece of work right here. And here it is. It's like a. But what's it's, interesting it's, it's though about movie. that is is we only we only think negatively of it because we actually have better. Yeah, we have surplus. Yeah. <laughs> right, and they don't. We don't have to watch all the superhero movies now. We can we can pick and choose which ones we want. We're not going to have to yeah. desperately watch one that we know is bad just because well it's the only one we got. <laughs> yeah, and if you took like uh, going off of that, it's like. Let's take, say, a Captain America movie, and then you just put people into take it so far into the future where nobody remembers anything like that. If they see a video of a man just healing from wounds and like punching things and stuff, they'd think like they might not even realize that it's it's special effects. Right. They might think it's real. 
and then be like, wow, that, that guy from the past had superpowers. He's, they think they look at him like, uh, you know, people might have looked at Hercules. So, and I think because we're more sophisticated, we can see through that. But, you know, what could be fun is, you know, like the old, you know, the Japanese uh, movies from like the 70s, you know, the Ultraman or, mm -hmm. or whatever, where it's just kind of, you know, the Godzilla, where it's just, you know, we see it as rubbery suits and, you know, you know, just a men and it just, but they wouldn't. It's just a guy like, moving his wrists. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And bouncing around, <laughs> but I, I love how we're, we're we're more sophisticated in the sense that we have more experience with it. But we're not that far away from like <laughs> any of this. Like, yeah, sure. We, there were there were people in uh, the Avatar movie that were like reaching out with their hands and just swatting at the air because they thought that the uh, floating pollen <laughs> things were actually there. Like they they just had that impulse. So like. I'm sure we get some sort of tech or, or even like you just look at someone playing a VR game and they're literally ducking their head. And <laughs> I'm sure in a, a few years. Yeah. Be, and I think too, quite, uh, quite cute. And uh, I think antiquated. as a society, we were, we were more literate probably back in the, let's say like the, you know, early 1900s, late 1800s. It's like, I wonder if the stuff that we kind of deal with fall to uh, fall for or whatever, maybe they could see right through because mm -hmm. they are not already kind of programmed to receive information a certain way. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you what, somebody from the turn of the century is not going to fall for any internet scan, no. <laughs> but, but only because half they're not going to be able to turn on the computer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they have the ultimate defense. One of the, one of the smartest men I know, I mean, smart, but my goodness, he would fall for that stuff. And it's just like, I do not understand. Yeah. Well, that's part of uh, having digital literacy. Like uh, we, I, I, I remember this study in school where they were talking about how there's certain generations who never, never grew up with a computer, and so they, what they did is they showed a heat map of people's eyes and what they look at on a screen, and they saw that in Gen Z, the youngest kids, they don't even see banner ads. They, their, their brains are trained to not even to, to not even recognize that they exist. But then uh, they did the same thing for uh, silent generation uh, people, and they couldn't get their eyes off the banner ads. The banner ads told them to look, and they just stared at them for a solid like five seconds. Yeah, to out I can to see do. that because I because like we went to see a concert performance. Uh, my, uh, my son was in a choir performance, and there's some lady that was kind of in front but to the left who picked up her phone and started like filming the thing and i found that so distracting mm -hmm. but i thought she's not impeding my view yeah but i was unable to to ignore that yeah yeah you, you, it, there's certain things that you can't filter yeah but other people probably could and they're like what's yeah. the big deal just don't look at it. it's like yeah for sure yeah and no, i'm sure i i i'm i'm not that kind of person i can't uh like just pull out my phone. I never take pictures of anything. Thank God I live with someone who does. Otherwise, there'd be no proof that I exist. <laughs> and even like the, even a TV being on, I will watch it. I, that's why I know we mm -hmm. normally don't leave the TV on ever unless we're watching something because it just it, it pulls my attention. I have to turn that off. Otherwise, even if it's a football yeah. game, which I can't say whatever sports, I will I'll be looking at it rather than you know conversing with people or whatever. So yeah, it's it's crazy. So the other thing is so. 
I think the resources um, and uh, and I think the other thing that's not necessarily true, but I think um, well, maybe it's not true about movies, but I'm thinking about some games is I think there's also a sometimes an impulse to like um, help a community or grow a community. Yeah. Yeah. Community in one way or another seems to be an element of it. And I, and I think that's why it captivates some people in a slightly toxic way where they're kind of, they're captivated by it. They long for the apocalypse because they think it's going to create smaller, tighter knit, more intimate communities. <laughs> I know that's quite literally the belief of some religions, so I won't go much further. Yeah. Well, it, but, yeah, I think it just leads to, yeah. But that's a good, that's a good example though. Right. Right. Like the yeah community. I'm, and sometimes it is growing community. Sometimes it's uh, the community just surviving. Yeah. But like, it's like there's, there's a community that's having trouble and it's kind of important for you to, to do things in order for that community to, to be successful. Yeah. I don't know. Like I said, I, was trying to, I don't know about movies that being the case, but I think there's been a number of games where that is kind of a background element. Hmm. So what activities yeah. then do you think is different for a, for a post-apocalyptic RPG as opposed to other, in general, RPGs? Oh, that's a good question. I should have done more research. <laughs> well, I'll just... <laughs> but no, yeah. I'll just post them. It's like, I think, you know, we kind of, I kind of talked about before. I think one, I think resource management is definitely one. Yeah, yeah. And like that, that can be interpreted in multiple ways. Cause I th- I know somewhere it's, it is quite literally what you expect. It's food, it's water. It's, it could be things like air, yeah. oxygen, but it can also be things like, uh, health. Like just, you don't have much. Well, I think it, that's another aspect too. When you say health, um, I think too, depending on the game, that's where diseases become more of a real thing, right? <laughs> Yeah. For D&D, it's like, oh, you know, make a saving throw, blah, blah, blah. Well, in certain more realistic RPGs, oh, ooh, you got cholera. Mm. Yeah. What are you going to do? <laughs> and and there's also, uh, if you want to get real abstract about it, the concept, the resource that is security, like safety. Yeah. Uh, because you could play something like, uh, like Dungeons & Dragons or any sort of non-apocalyptic RPG there's usually an off period where the character is safe. They've right. left the dungeon. They're not going to, we don't have reason to suspect that they're going to lose it all right. while in a tavern sleeping. Or like, even in a dungeon, this is kind of the quote unquote somewhat safe area. And therefore, yeah. you know, you, you just cleared out this level. You got this room. Let's just take a short rest or long rest. Yeah. There's, there's, no, there's not this concept that like the town you're returning to is a finite resource in and of itself, and it will slowly recede away as this as the world just picks away at it. But that that can very much be a, a concept or an important part of any post apocalyptic sort of scenario, where a town's dying off because of lack of water, or yeah. there's always the risk that raiders are going to come in and absolutely just annihilate them. There's a number of games, and even going back to community, I think community building and what you're saying here is another one where, you know, uh, several of them have the theme where you, I mean, the maybe not, 
well, I'll say maybe not always the expectation, but there's definitely rules in there for gathering resources for a community, improving defenses, improving this or improving mm-hmm. that. And the, the idea is that, you know, you are responsible, you are the leaders. Um, even some of the older games would have some of those aspects in it, more or less. But I think later games actually had more explicit rules for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And um, I was trying to think what other activities. I think there's still exploration. I don't think that's much different. No, that's... In fact, that probably is uh, increased in some ways. There's certainly more uh, like awe-inspiring moments, I think, in a lot of post-apocalypse, or at least uh, intrigue in places, going back to that whole the familiar being made alien. Yeah, and I think, I don't know, I've ever done this. I don't know many post-apocalyptic adventures do it well, but, you know, that whole at the end where it's revealed and then it's kind of like this, like, you know, oh my, you know, kind of thing. I don't know that mm-hmm. it ever does it's ever done or done well. You know, the Charleston Heston moment, you know, type thing. Yeah, because I, I trust. Oh, go ahead. No, I was I was gonna say there's one dungeon crawl classics I think module that has a oh that's what this is like at the very end. I, I think it's I can't remember if the, it was called the Eye of God or something like that. But essentially, you're in this underworld, and as you get deeper and deeper and deeper, it gets weirder and weirder and weirder. More, more and more metal-like. Walls become made of metal. Okay. Floor becomes made of metal. And then the eye of God is actually a window looking out into space. Oh, that's neat. So, yeah. so that window. And, so, and come to find out that you're just, you're, the, the entire world, as you know it, is just one big arc hurtling through space it's an old it's a bit it's a, a ship that's forgotten that it's a ship okay and that that's a, that was probably one of the coolest like when i read it, i was like ah, no one else like it's one of those where you go damn it i can't that idea has been done somebody's somebody had the idea i'll have I'll, it's no longer original <laughs> I, uh, well steal this. honestly what is yeah, no, nothing is. <laughs> nothing is. It just it just hurts to see it in the wild, and you're like, ah, oh, right. Yeah, I could have cultivated. Everyone has that. come up with all of the ideas. Be, yeah, I think. Um, yeah, and it's also kind of like some of like Starship Warden, I think, with Metamorphosis Alpha, but you don't mm-hmm. know you're in it in the beginning. With I, I started running online a five E game where. I did a kind of a weird magical apocalypse happening to the world here. And then the people were actually coming from Iceland by boat to here because of the devastation that happened even later. And the mm. boats got separated and they came. And then I tried to describe, you know, they were actually, you know, like, you know, you know, going through cities and such in the U.S. But I tried to kind of explain it in a way, you know, for them to view it as not being, I mean, just how I imagine they would just exactly how they'd see it, but it, mm-hmm. ended, it, ended up, it ended up finally ending, but nobody ever realized it. And I realized all that pain and trouble and, you know, proud moments was really just vanity and hubris. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> isn't that always the case? Um, <laughs> but, but it's also like, uh, I'm, I'm sorry people didn't catch on to your nuanced diaspora narrative. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
Yeah, the, the 12 boats. Oh, no. Uh, that were <laughs> you, got, you went too deep into the history. I you, did. You graphed onto something. Yeah. But that's that's cool though. And I I uh I love this uh this concept of like it happened it's it's like a trope, but it's like uh there's a there's a the, the world is hap is, is living, everything's fine, it's status quo, and out of the mist comes a ship from an alien world and the craziest or the most interesting thing about that trope is that that is a trope that has happened in the real world over and over and over again. It happened with uh, the Vikings showing up in places like Newfoundland. Yeah. It, it happened or even like just settling in the, when the Danes came and settled in, uh, you know, the British Isles. It happened when uh, the sea peoples of the Mediterranean just started raiding and showing up in places like Egypt and, the Etruscans and places like this, like that. And people thought that they would just sprouted from the ocean and were attacking them. And it's like, no, they were trying to escape uh, earthquakes in places like Crete. But uh, yeah, it, it happened in Japan with the United States. Happened with uh, Aztecs and uh, the Spanish. So yeah, it's, it's like this, uh, it's this weird uh, trope that you see re- recreate itself over and over and over again in the real world and it makes for really good fantasy. Yeah. I think it it would have been all, it may have had played long-term. Maybe it would have worked out fine. Yeah. Well, your, your mistake was thinking that you're going to be able to have a long-term campaign (laughs) (laughs) because I can, first off, I've never had a campaign end when it should, uh, if I ever made it long, but also I'm assuming you're a little bit like me where at some point you're like, all right, this was good. I want I want the new thing. Well, yeah. For most of my group, we we only generally go about eight games with anything. The most yeah. anything, and everybody's like, okay. Yeah, I found my. If I had a dollar for every time I uh, played a game for only three sessions and then moved on to another game, I still wouldn't be able to afford all the games I've done that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, I keep thinking, you know, maybe one day, you know, I will do this or do that. But the other problem is, is I think some of the stuff I'd want to play long term, you know, there's other people may not want to. So that's that's a problem is other people have like their own individual like wants and needs and desires that are separate from my own. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It comes down to like what's the social contract of <laughs> What we're all agreeing to. Uh, no, you're gonna play this, people. <laughs> yeah, I I have this very specific like thing that I have to do with that I've come to the conclusion I have to do every time I do a sci-fi game. Sci-fi game, <laughs> where uh, it's like first off we have to agree to what kind of story we're gonna all tell. Like this is gonna be a campaign about hunting aliens in space, or this is gonna be a sci-fi game where we're gonna go colonize new worlds or we're going to play star trek whatever but then the second thing that i do is like all right how do you think science should work in this world is there anti-gravity is there no anti-gravity are are we going to get real because i i often play with a at least one nerd who's actually like an astrophysicist or something like that and they'll tell me something like well that doesn't make sense you can't pour water into a glass normally you have to do it at this weird angle because the water is going to do corkscrews into the and i'm just like i and like you need to know that some of the, you need to at least come to some agreement of what kind of science you want to have in your sci-fi games because if you don't, 
you're going to have that weird situation where everyone's trying to solve a problem or a puzzle in a, in a spaceship, a dungeon, what have you. And they're all going to have wildly different things because they're basing it on different realities of how physics work. So like uh, I played Mothership and there's, there's a moment of uh, people being like, well, can't we just uh, take this evil statue that makes everyone go go mad and just unhook it from its uh, its belts and just let it float up and just push it out the airlock? And uh, the others are like, no, you can't do that. It's several thousand pounds. And the <laughs> other person's like, yeah. And the person's like, there's. He's like, no, no, no. It, it's there's there's no gravity. It's like, yeah, but there's it, it, and like so they just started like, and I had to just be like. Listen, inertia doesn't exist in this world. It's all let's just just pretend it's not. Or just roll. Yeah, or just roll. Well, two yeah, D six. Exactly. So I'll tell you what, you get higher you get, the better it works out for you. I, I, I do like the idea of like making them roll and then be like, all right, I guess this world has inertia <laughs> when they <laughs> yeah. fail, right? And then it's like be like a bunch uh, bunny cartoon. Everything's working yeah. fine until it doesn't. Yes, you yeah. are walking uh, on yeah. air until you don't. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you fail a roll and you're like, oh, I guess Newton's third law doesn't apply here. The problem I find is with sci-fi games, and, and I'm not like, I'm not necessarily real smart on, on all the science of things, but like, so I was thinking like going the, you know, like real world physics, no anti-gravity, but like landing a ship on a planet, um, Mm-hmm. I mean, all that radioactive nonsense that's pouring out of those engines. How would you even land anywhere near any place? I mean, that stuff is just bad. Yeah, and I and maybe there are certain types of drives that aren't, and blah blah blah. But I remember reading um, Larry Niven where they use their drives for weapons. They just flip them around, and just toast people with radiation. So there you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like. It's like yeah, and then there's, I mean, there's so many things about sci-fi that's like makes it kind of difficult. When you try and find deck plans for yeah. for you say, you, you know what, we're this going to be just like you know the Rasenate on uh, the Expanse. Okay, well, try and find yeah. deck plans and try and do this and try. It's like it, it starts becoming and, hard. And there's, and there's a thing too is like if this is a if it's a hard sci-fi world, ships don't have up or downs. No. In sp- they're, and like that, that, those kind of things are important to helping players have a sense of orientation. And when most of these ships, like if we if we pulled like a, a ship from Alien or something, it's like those are just cities based with just lots of tubing and like things attached to the tubes. So like it's all over the place. It, it might as well just be a big old blob of rooms, right? With no if and you know no rhyme or reason to it. I think there's fun things you can do when you start dealing with that, like you know the spinning to to generate the the forces to give the sensation of gravity. But then, you know, but if you're in tubes that go to the center, how's that all work? I mean, it's just you can get yourself yeah. all to the point where it's like it starts. I think if if you're trying to create a a totally realistic uh, universe that way. And you're yeah. not deeply steeped in all the the details of how these things work out. It just turns into a, just a pretzel in your brain. Yeah, that's that's why uh, I think every sci-fi RPG has to, in some element, be a fantasy RPG. Like they just have to make some decisions, some assumptions. Yeah, well, I think that's true for any. To me, what what makes sci-fi is there's like one or two things that you say we do not know how to do this according to science right now, but this mm-hmm. works. 
So faster yeah. than light. Okay, faster than light. It exists. Yeah, but I think when the, the problem is when everything just becomes a hand wavium, then it's no longer sci-fi. Yeah. It's like science fantasy or whatever. But I mean, I think, I think every science fiction story has some sort of premise of there has to be some sort of of conjecture like this is a thing that happens there is there's a stargate okay or there's mm-hmm. a and you just have to say that's what yes, it is. It, yeah it has to set its own rules and then like abide by but them yes it's got pretty strictly <laughs> but you know it's kind of like with time travel it's like you know that is such a fun can be a fun trope but if you actually it it just you know with everything moving with the earth rotating and revolving mm-hmm. and and the the sun moving and the universe moving and, you know, Warm cosmos holes. moving. It's like, we are, you know, we, you can't be in the same space. I mean, if you go back in time, you're going to wind up not on earth. Yeah. My, yeah. My, uh, the, the other thing too, that just made me think of is like, when you're talking about like everything moving and stuff, it's like, also like I have yet to see a sci-fi game that takes into account, like the concept of gravity and relativity of time. Like, Oh yeah. <laughs> like you should, you should be if like if you split the party and one of you goes onto the surface of a planet and the other one st- doesn't go on the surface of the planet, one you're not going to come back to a, a young, the same aged person right. in orbit, assuming that you're going to like lots of different kinds of planets where some of them are going to be significantly heavier than others. What's well, funny is like your bank account account Sorry. grows, but inflation makes Sorry, everything gravity. more expensive. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that would be a fascinating, uh, and this, and this all gets down to another thing too, about for me with, with sci-fi, it's like, what, cause I, 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 I like the genre and I, I like it specifically for the sci-fi and stuff kind of set, set, lets you, uh, create these weird set piece, like playhouse moments, like Star Trek at the end of the day, is just morality plays right. in a box and you see, and like, you're trying to figure out what the crew's like how their how their decisions are going to affect what happens and uh but what i like about what i look for in a sci-fi system is it needs to just not try not to be too simulationist like the more numbers in a sci-fi game the more i'm like oh man we're gonna get into this trouble with uh getting too bogged down in the uh, mechanicals of sci-fi rather than the actual point yeah so like i mean i think even thinking things like um like the expanse you could just not do the mechanicals, but but have the flavoring. Mm-hmm. You know, like, did you see the expanse? Yeah. Okay. So you know, like somebody That's gets right. shot and they're just standing. Yeah. They're still standing there because their boots are magnetically held to the to the deck. Yeah. But they're dead, and they're just they're just still like in a standing position with like puddles of blood, or you know, yeah, like, with a big old sort of bubbles. <laughs> yeah, of it. exactly. So I think yeah. there's a lot of things you can do without having because I because I remember like the original. I recall the original Traveler. I mean, it was you're doing you're doing um, you know trigonometry for ship movement. You know, it's like yeah. well, yeah, it's like. And I, I've noticed re- recently on like social and stuff that there's been a real uh, revival of Traveler. Like people are starting to rediscover it because of what was on sale on the uh, bundle of holding. And I, I think I think a lot, well, some of the things I think are really funny about that is uh, people realizing like, wow, here's a game that unironically really wants to be sci-fi. I mean, like they have like classification number systems, like a, almost like a Dewey Decimal system. Oh yeah, the hexadecimal. Yeah, for, it's like, a, it's oh yeah, for ships and all that, and the trigonometry <laughs> and all the graphs. But I think the part that 
I love it when people get because I uh, when I was in uh, undergrad, there was a I was in a gaming organization. We had a big old cabinet of games that we had all amassed as an organization because the organization was thirty years old. So we had every game since like the nineteen seventies onward, and Traveler was in there, and people would pull out Traveler, and they the first thing that they would notice that there were no pictures. <laughs> there was no art. It's like, it's, it's almost exclusively just graphs. Well, do you know why that was? No, why was it? So there's a, there's an interview uh, with besides Mark budget. Miller. No, that was it. That was hundred percent it. It was Mark Miller. Oh. They, they had no budget. They had no money. To, oh, they, okay. They, well, yeah, that makes sense then. Yeah. yeah he's like, right, no, yeah. we couldn't afford anything. Expensive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we just, we just did that. Good for, it, it was big too. When it like got really big when it at one point, which is pr- with no art, which is unheard of now. Yeah, I'll tell you, I even I don't play a lot of Traveler. Um, I have, I mean, we played back in the day, and I just maybe play a little bit here. I absolutely, I don't know if I necessarily love all the mechanics, but I absolutely love Traveler. I mean, there's yeah. an aesthetic. You look at that book, you know, yeah. and he said we didn't have art for the cover, and they had that red line. The, the iconic mm-hmm. letters and that mayday mayday i mean i read that mayday mayday yeah. i mean it just it gets me in the feels every time you know i don't oh, know what yeah. it is but it's just like there's there's something about like just the what it is as an object tells you a lot about and and influences how you're gonna play oh yeah and i and i me getting on my graphic design nonsense yeah but like uh this is the thing i i told one of my friends is like a thought experiment it's like you have to believe that uh, product design and like graphic design and art and all that is at least in some way game design for RPGs. Because if you were to just show a person a cover of a game and never tell them the rules, they're going to play it differently if it were a different cover. Like in uh, the thought experiment was like, all right, you're going to run D&D, but you're not going to show them the rules of D&D. Instead, you're just going to show them a Warhammer 40K cover. Yeah. And it'd be like, this is what we're going to play. And then just how are the players going to play? They're going to play completely differently based off this visuals of this meathead with a gun. Yeah. Or even like if you, if you look at, you know, what is the feel that Earl Otis provides versus Larry Elmore? Oh yeah. Completely different. Yeah. If you, yeah. First off, if you show uh, an Otis to someone, I hope they like acid rock because they're going to really love this game if they see his work because it's so... It's so different. It's like kind of got that psychedelic uh, vibe to and it. And I wish D and D was more that than than the Elmore, but it went the Elmore route. But yeah, I guess it was it was more digestible for the average <laughs> public, I think. But I, the, the Earl Otis stuff is great. I remember uh, recently on like I think it was like CNN or something. Some I can't even remember what it was. It was it was some silly thing, and the Earl Otis uh, gibbering mouther. <laughs> illustration was put up on the screen to like depict this thing and i, I, was, I was like wow it had, yeah. who how, how when was the last time thousands of people saw this illustration well, to me, what's also interesting is i think the gibbering mouther or that whole whatever the lovecraft is a pudding i can't it, remember is so like played out and boring but earl otis it still looks fresh i mean even yeah. though many people have done different versions of it it's like but I don't know what it is by his approach, but it is so unique that it seems to just take even things that have just have become mundane mm-hmm. and still like 
they live magically somehow. Yeah. Uh, I know some, I, I, I wish I could repeat verbatim what some of uh, my uh, older uh, old school friends had said, but essentially like they were talking about how when they, when they played those games, because the, the illustrations, especially in the OD and D it's like, it's made, it was literally made by a high schooler. Like they, they found, they knew uh, what was it? Gary Gygax knew someone who had a kid who did art. Oh, is it Jeff D? Maybe I, I I couldn't tell you, but yeah, and I, I, and I have a, the book here, but I'm I not went to a convention. And I saw Jeff D, and he's like the same age, like maybe a little bit older than me, and I was just like, <laughs> what? like yeah, I thought maybe be like sixty or seventy. It's like yeah, no, yeah. like you start doing the math, you're like, good night. Yeah, yeah, I remember when the artists uh, they were like sixteen. Yeah, when they were Jeff doing. D, uh, yeah, he just was out of high school, and they just started. He started doing stuff. Yeah, and one of the elements though that's really interesting about it is like, and I and I reviewed a few products recently that kind of had this similar thing, but it's like they don't put too much detail into the monsters' illustrations. They just focus on the most important things, and those happen to be the most evocative things there are about the thing. So like if it's a beholder, they don't spend like if you look at a beholder now, like and you ask somebody to describe the beholder based off the picture, they're they're probably gonna spend a lot of time they're gonna say the obvious things, but they're also gonna spend time talking about the texture of the skin yeah. and like the coloration and everything else. But if you just look at the beholder from the first edition of D D, you really only have one big thing you can say and it's like it's a big old fleshy orb with a with a giant eye and a huge mouth and lots of little eye stalks. Yeah. And uh that evocative thing and letting people fill in the blanks usually has a greater visceral impact on them as they're because they're trying to make sense of the thing that does make sense to them in their head. <laughs> yeah, it's like, right? Yeah. Like big old bat it's a big old basketball with with an eye and a mouthful of shark teeth. Yeah, it's definitely interesting how aesthetics have changed. And I think the yeah, even between editions and between artists, just and what types of things they evoke. I mean, some put the characters in there, others just the monster. And I think, it, you know, I think different things aid people in different ways. Mm -hmm. But, um, but some like the Lotus, you know, you, you see the, the characters usually involved in somehow with the monster in a way that's, not a good situation for the characters. Yeah, that's another difference uh, from older game, like older editions and just older games in general versus like new, a lot of newer games, at least the popular ones. Right. Like uh, we're talking like blockbuster games is that a lot of blockbuster games nowadays, you see heroes beating the monsters in their illustrations. But if you look at some of the older games, you kind of get the sense that maybe the <laughs> players aren't going to survive ever because... <laughs> It just shows that all these, and I, I like that about uh, like some of the, like uh, third edition D and D even had some of that where it would show like a a shambling mound, but it would also show the guy being consumed by the shambling <laughs> mound, and you're like, oh, okay, I get it now. That's that's a thing to be worried about. Yeah, exactly. He's carnivorous. <laughs> he yeah. finds you tasty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This uh, he's not a landslide. <laughs> this landslide with a mouth is uh, is a carnivorous critter. Yeah. It's time for and, paybacks for all these years of eating vegetables. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, and yeah, it's because it looks like a pile of shrubs. Yeah. That's all it looks. Like. It looks like a shrubbery. So, is it a, is it a ripoff of Swamp Thing or Man Thing? I should say. I, 
I have no idea what that one is. I, there's some, there are some, there are some critters in like RPG books, but especially the old ones where I'm like, I don't even know where this come, came from. I know in the case of some, it literally was just uh, them uh, finding miniatures at stores of from other things like toys. Yeah, Japanese, mm-hmm. a bag of plastic Japanese toys. They were like monsters. Yeah, in it. that's the owl bear. Yeah, or, the, or I think a rust monster too, and a few others. Yeah, they just they had they found the toy that they could find, and then because there was also the fact that like uh, dice, you had to buy them from math departments if you wanted like the crazy polyhedrals and this was like back in like the 70s yeah what's weird is like the 20 sider even had 20 sider it 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 was not one through 20 it was zero through nine twice yeah weird yeah so the original way i think they explained to to roll it is you rolled a d6 and if you rolled a uh, four through six you would add 10 to the roll but (laughs) It's so weird. <laughs> but the but, but we were in a more sophisticated period where you'd color one half one color, not half the other color, and then you'd call it before you rolled it. Yeah, yeah. Great. <laughs> and then uh and then there was a point where they they got blanks and you just you wrote them on the numbers. I think that was a one edition, maybe a box set. I heard or at least that's what I heard. Maybe that was a an English box set. You mean with, had, with a crayon or are you talking about actually writing the number on there? With with a crayon, you'd oh yeah, you, you had to do that with all, of, it. all of them. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah, none of them came marked. None of them came marked. You took a great and in the box, your boxes would come. Even Star Frontiers, it two ten siders, and they would come with a crayon. <laughs> and this is also like the age when the plastic was kind of like softer. So like eventually, you'd be just rolling orbs. Yeah, it just starts chipping. Little these little yeah. pieces start chipping off, and it just it gets nasty. And then I remember almost so Gamma World. It might have been a Gamma World die, but that D four was pointed. I mean, not yeah. not like a blunt. I mean, it was pointed. <laughs> it's like a right. L-trop. Yeah, it was a, a, a quite genuinely a Keltrop. Yeah, I. Uh, there's, you can buy like precision dice now, and like I, I used to think, like, why would you want those? It just looks so ugly. And now, you know, that I own so many softed, you know, rounded edge, that won't stop rolling. Dice. The stop rolling, you know, it just keeps going. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so now I'm like looking at those dice there, like they got these hard, like razor sharp edge, and I'm like, hmm, those are looking pretty good. <laughs> I kind of want one of those. Those those look nice. And I might very well buy some, but that'll be a gift to myself. When do you uh, ever see the uh, the video? The uh, it's game science. The, the dude does with yeah, game science. Yeah, where he stacks a bunch of twenty siders and stacks another set of twenty siders. No, I haven't seen the video. So I think what he does, I think he takes a bunch of like ro- just um, non um, it, t- like a chess X or something. Yeah, it, it, t- basically a bunch of tumbled d twenties. They're normally tumbled, and I think he would stack like 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 say. 10 of them or 15 of them and he'd do another stack of the same dice same height they're different heights so there there's variation because of the tumbling mm. right and, and and because of that tumbling he's, he's also saying you're not going to get a, a a truly you know good roll it's going to be biased but but i but i just yeah. get tired of the dice rolling it's just like especially d20s i find that just absolutely annoying yeah i there's also something you just uh 
everyone else has like the the tumbled rounded edge so then you come in with this like <laughs> straight edge monstrosity yeah, exactly. you know it I shave like the, with the, with my foresight yeah, here. Watch this. Yeah, this is this is a this is a lawful neutral dye, right? Like it, it has no interest in like nuance. No. So yeah, it's great. But yeah, no, I want to talk about Gamma World. Okay, so we'll go talk about the grand. Well, it's not the granddaddy because the granddaddy was Metamorphosis Alpha. Yeah, but then James Ward, I think the, I don't know if Gary said, "Hey, put it on Earth," and so he did Gamma World. So, have you played Gamma World? I have not. I have not played Gamma World, but I know of it. I'm assuming you have. I played the first edition. So I played it when I was younger, um, and then years later, um, I did was based off a podcast I was to. I do it was called RPG Buffet. But I, I would get an old school game and we would try it out and play it. Yeah. And and not, not good. It's not good. <laughs> oh, I, I'm sure it's like the prototype, you know. But you know, like, the, the fact that you know one, you know, yeah, right. It's a prototype. So, you know, guys just gets a typewriter, chicka 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 yeah. creates a game. Yeah, I have to I <laughs> speaking of the typewriter thing, like doing corrections with a typewriter is god awful like it, it's such a pain in the butt like i because i i had a typewriter for for a while as like a like hobby thing because i my family just owned one yeah so i was like oh yeah i'll play with it and like but it first off you need like money to have like a typewriter that could actually correct you know right. this better than i do uh so and i didn't have that i had an old uh royal like typewriter like the black sort of uh metal powder coated typewriter so it's like you make a mistake it's like just tear that page off throw it off well, and you didn't do the white out page in yeah I, I never had like the the white out but that yeah you would also just quite literally lean over and white out the page right and then yeah so there was originally that. it was a liquid and they i guess the secretaries would get high off of it because it had a bunch of <laughs> solvent in there yeah they're yeah. huffing it so then there was also more of a dry later on that you could so you'd have a, a sheet on. of plastic paper with this white stuff on the other side, and you would move it back to wherever that bat letter was. Like, say it's an E. You'd stick that in there, and then you hit your E, and it would stamp over it and put white. And hopefully it lined up with the previous E. Right, yeah, <laughs> if you're lucky. Which, again, there's a reason why so many typewriters, you know, advertise themselves as precise. Yeah like the selectrics or whatever it was called because that would be infuriating. But anyway, point being sidetrack the ramble. Uh, I just wonder how much, like sometimes it was like, I think this might not be a good design for a game, but I've already typed the page. <laughs> so I'm going to just going to keep going. Sunk cost. I've already. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I don't want to rewrite this. I'm not going to do a redesign. It's, so I think what it is, and, and, and also thinking about Gamma World, it is a wild, crazy. So thinking about those things of, you know, we talked about as far as post apocalypse, it, you know, it does have the recognizable um, elements, it does have the twists, it can have a little bit of community building. It, doesn't really focus much on resource management as much. I mean, it, well, that's not, well, it kind of does and kind of doesn't. 
but it's not mm-hmm. as as like later games would. I mean, you might get a laser rifle and you might find more trying to find more, you know, whatever. Yeah. I wonder uh, how much the resource element of post-apocalypse, like how old of a, of a concept is that in the genre? Yeah, I don't know. I think, I think it, it came pretty early with aftermath, but um, yeah. But because I'm trying to think of like what's the original post-apocalypse story? Maybe it's like Time Machine by H.G. Wells. Oh, and that wasn't really a resource. No, but I think that was. I don't. I'm. I'm not read it. Is it? Is that? A, there's supposed to be some sort of morality to that one. I'm sure. I'm. I'm assuming. Yeah, it, it's. It's that. Uh, it's problematic. I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it guy goes all the way into the future where humanity split off into two factions, where there's the ones who live on the surface and there's the ones who live underground, and the ones who live underground are stronger and eviler and meaner, and the ones who live on ground look like people and they're good, (laughs) you know, and they're, you know, all these are, and there's insert every like, you know, writer of the times bugaboos and you got, you got a book that maybe you don't want to read the children. (laughs) But, but I, I, I think of that though, is that's like a post-apocalypse story because he, you know, as he's traveling through into the future, he's actually, he's going into the future too far into the future on accident. And he's seeing, his world build up to our, our time period and then, you know, get destroyed and explosions and everything else and get weathered away. And then he sees this new world that he's about to inhabit sort of rise up before his eyes. And then here he is, this, here's the book. This is what the story is about, but it wasn't, it didn't quite have nearly as much of a uh, resource quality to it. It was much more. As far as the story goes, they don't usually serve a purpose and that wouldn't have fit his purpose. And yeah, exactly. And that, and that's the thing too, is like the sci-fi at the time for that, like, cause sci-fi is always like playing with, uh, some new discovery. And like at the time, like the discovery was that uh, was the theory of evolution, which is why his book plays with that concept. Well, and the, I guess the other thing too, what the, the assumption of de-evolution as well. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and all the, uh, the issues that come with it. Uh, but so like, I'm trying to think of like, Gamma World was that the was that the one that had like radiation was a thing? Yeah, and I think that's another aspect I was going to bring up. With I think a lot of these, there's usually some sort of hazardous. Uh, there's usually some sort of like radiation hazard in the land. So so it yeah. did. I can't remember if it, it maybe different versions if it grand or if it just started causing problems. So I think it, it might have eroded your stats. Is what it may have done. Mm. But what's interesting to me about looking back at Gam World, so it was really pretty gonzo as far as powers go. Yeah. But if you were to strip away all the the defects that you could get, your characters were kind of superheroes. That's cool. Yeah, I mean you have a you have a poisonous stinger coming out of your behind. You've got the ability to shoot radiation out of your eyes. You got time control. You can do you know, you got dual brains. You can do telekinesis. I mean, it. I it's, it's a soup. It is the post-apocalyptic yeah. is like you're all superheroes, but some of you also have, you know, um, you know, um, like uh, was it the uh, the bleeding hemophiliac or hemophilia, yeah. or you might have yeah, hemophilia. You can yeah. have you can have none. Just to tell you how bad it was. Just to, how um, so when I played this game 
later on when I did that RPG buffet, I had everybody roll. Just, we're going to play this just as it is. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, and that's part of the culture of that game too, probably. Yeah, just so one character tables. was a plant. But in order to have arms and legs, you had to roll additional limbs. But fortunately, he did roll additional limbs, but he only rolled it once. So he had to pick either arms or legs. <laughs> so he picked, he picked uh, arms. And so okay. the other, but he also had a defect. And the defect, I think, is he would, um, I think he was asleep during the day, but he'd be awake at night. Oh my god! So then we had a six-inch character that was the opposite. <laughs> oh, and so it's like, so they're dragging this character around who's asleep. Yeah, <laughs> just can't just can't be awake for can't be bothered to wake up for the adventure. No, but I think what it did is it it involved uh, the the monsters were fun. They're crazy. Mm-hmm. You you had laser rifles, black. Uh, I can't remember what the black rifles were that of energy disintegrate you get grenades they had yeah the the the, the creatures the, the mutated creatures were just wild 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 uh yeah it's cool i like that i uh i got a couple uh rpgs on my list where the super high-tech thing that's just lying around in the dirt you pull it up and it's like that's the thing it's one of the coolest parts of the genre is like having some like really cool like disintegrator rifle or something yeah. on a character who's basically wearing a loincloth. <laughs> I, th- I think the game as far as, and, and I don't realize it is, it is the setting is kind of like, so I thought there's been no post-apocalyptic movie that I've seen that is like this. And I think the only thing that would be comparable is if you were to take something like Avatar, mm-hmm. even though that wasn't a post-apocalyptic, but put that on earth. You know, it's just that kind of gonzo weird. Yeah, but, yeah. But none of the the movies or shows we've I've ever seen have ever um, have ever uh, approached a post apocalyptic to that extreme. Right. But but anyway, I think it was a decent game, but it does kind of miss some of the. I think some things it hits it it, but it was early on too. There's been multiple iterations, and I, they've been hit or miss. It probably do things so. So what is your, what's the one on your list? The top one. What, the top one? Yeah. Uh, Apocalypse World. Yes. It has to be on the list. I, and I, it, it's the ship that launched a thousand ships as far as like systems go. It's not, it's not my favorite uh, post-apocalypse like RPG, but I think it's the top one on my list for sure. Just a second. I'm going to turn the light on real quick. <sighs> yeah. What, you don't like living in darkness? Yeah, I've never played it, <laughs> but the uh, that is probably the most hardcore, primordial, man versus man type game I imagine that's that's it's, out there. It's, it's Mad Max. It's Mad Max Fury Road, the, the RPG. It's got the numbers filed off, but it, it it's it's got a real voice to it, too. It, it, it's like... You're the gun lugger. Yeah. Yeah. All you care about is the bullets in your pocket. You know, it it just, the writing in it is very, it's got a, it literally has a rule for the GM that says, when in doubt, barf forth 
apocalyptia. You have to just talk about how the world has gone to shit. <laughs> yeah. You know, like that, that is one of the rules built into the game, which is pretty good. Like it is an element that works every time. Now I think in my mind, you know, the little that I know about it, it gives a feel that just everything's dirty. The, the locations oh, are dirty. The people yeah. are dirty. There is desperate, desperate. I mean, it, it pulls that desperation to an extreme. Mm-hmm. I think even the example when I was reading about like the rules is like somebody has a can of food. You want that can of food. You roll for it. <laughs> it's like you roll for the outcome. I'm like, wow, this is. Yeah. Uh, Apocalypse world is, it, and it also has the added element too, where your, your character advancement is dependent on you doing apocalypse style things. Like, if you're uh, the super violent, like warlord type, who's gonna go full feral with hockey pads and yeah, you know, carry chains and stuff, you get more experience if you uh, decide to crack people's skulls and just go completely feral out in the wastes. Uh, yeah, which and I think that's is, good you because know, yeah. you know games that actually reward behavior with for an archetype, I think, is absolutely a great thing. Yeah, and it, it's so long as you and, and it's important. Then you tell the players, it's like, hey, you pick you pick the class that you want, whose incentives are the things you want to do anyway. Right. And this game is gonna just like give you carrot and carrot and carrot, no stick. Yeah, all the way until the end, which is great. <laughs> which could be very quickly because it is an apocalypse yeah, game. I, I think that's what I think that's I mean, you know, that emula it's very focused play. There's no mm-hmm. you you know, I, I'm assuming there's not like, oh, do you want to build a community? Do you, you know, it's like you're desperate people doing desperate things, you know. You're traveling. traveling. Yeah, one of one of you literally your whole shtick is that you have like a war rig, a car, just like you're it's literally Mad Max, the character. Yeah. Like it's very it's it's a it's a good game. Uh it has some elements to it that like I don't particularly care for. Um, but as far as like, and, and again, it was like the, cause no, it's the, it's powered by the apocalypse is the system, right? It was the one that created it. And then now you have everything from dungeon world to monster hearts, monster of the week, you know? Yeah. Well, I think one of the reasons yeah. I never leaned into that is because I, I've got, uh, I play, uh, I got kids, my, my kids even in the group. So it's like, I know some of those moves are pretty, um, uh, yeah <laughs> like, there's 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 sex moves yes, in the exactly. game like it's, it's like which uh, yeah that one never and that's one of the reasons why it never worked for me not because i i have an aversion to that thing but it's just like that's just not what my play group is interested in right and uh it's also not necessarily an element of any post-apocalypse like story that i particularly have affinity for yeah and i'm not sure how much in, in you know i, I I don't know that there's anything that's that could be icky involving that, but I think it when you put that sort of stuff in there, it leads the potential for players to be icky. Yeah, in ways right. that need, it's like no, I would never play uh, that even with safety tools and like all these different procedures. If I was running a convention game, I would never play that game. I that that would be a game I would have to I would have to. Have, known i would be with my friends that i've known right we're all gonna agree we all understand each other we all know each other's boundaries we're not going to 
you know, turn this into we, something that we don't. We've want. been to each other's parents' places, and we've seen each other's spouses. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we know each other in and out. <laughs> like, there's nothing. Nothing is uh, not known. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but, and that's you know, and that really, you're right. That is fundamental. In fact, uh, I did an interview um, with Danielle. Uh, is Lawson? Lawson? I can't remember how to pronounce her last name, but that's it's been a very. I think that's probably one of the most you know fundamental games you know in the last 10 years or whenever it came yeah I mean, it's it changed everything like it, it because even the games you don't even think of as being by, powered by the apocalypse were influenced by it yeah and they and they or they were originally spawned spawned by it and then it became so different through their iterations that they don't appear to look at anything like it like uh uh band of blades scum and villainy blades in the dark uh city of mist like all of those games claim that uh part by apocalypse is why they exist and i can't prove this i may be it's my maybe my my uh wild crazy theory but if you go like to the like the reaction table uh, is that bx mm-hmm. it's 2d6 and there's high success and huge failure at two and i'm like i wonder if he just took that that reaction table simplified it and, mm-hmm. uh, and if you look, start thinking about that way, it's like so many things could be just just be done with success or fail or complications very easily with that system. And you don't need heavy mechanics. You can just at your table anytime somebody wants to do something crazy. Roll two d six, add your stat. You know, yep. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, one through or two through six, it, it it fails miserably. Seven through nine, you know, it's we're gonna. It's we're, okay. Yeah, <laughs> there's gonna be something you're gonna have to give up or lose or or you know, you could do that. At, any game at any time that to me is the genius of it is yeah. you don't have to, you know, I know the moves and such are, are great, but I mean, but as far as just porting that 2d six mm-hmm. and that, that chart, it's simple to memorize. You can, you can just handle almost any situation much quicker. So you, you can take situations that are very long, complicated. Like I want to go, you know, uh, go into the jail sm- and try and find my friend in there. Well, Find a map of a jail. Forget that. Just roll 2d6. Mm-hmm. We'll see how far you get. Yeah. Well, and that's uh, going going back to the sci-fi thing. That's a, That mechanic is such a nice abstraction. It just, like, doesn't take in account, like, too many added variables. Yeah. So you could just be like, yeah, this, this, this applies. This makes sense. Like, because we're focusing on the narrative. We don't really care about, like, simulating anything. We just no. care about, like, outcome. And I think that's the idea where I think early on, especially when I play the hero system of trying to simulate a a reality, where then you start seeing games saying trying to simulate fiction. Mm-hmm. And I think that's yeah. much more interesting trying to simulate fiction than trying to simulate some sort of, you know, world that alternate reality. Yeah, alternate yeah. reality. Yeah. Like uh, that was why uh, I always bounced off of uh, Mutants and Masterminds, the uh, superhero RPG. You could make a superhero from scratch, but you would, it was a point by system. And I just couldn't get past the how much arithmetic I was going to have to do to figure out like, okay, I'm making a flash style character. What are the abilities? How, how, what do I have to do to get this spreadsheet just right? That all these moves are going to do the things that make me feel good when I play the character. And, you know, that, that's a game that's like trying, at least to some extent, sort of simulate. Yeah. Uh, numerical value apply numerical values to superhero powers which 
are illogical by design. <laughs> like, yeah, well, I think it goes back to even the hero system, which got more and more complex, but it was all about balance. So that's what yeah. it came into, which anyway, it's, yeah, it's, it's yeah. And that's, and that's another thing too, is like uh, the, the whole genre, there is no such thing as balance. Like even in the comic book, like as a reader of comic books, it's like when, when a comic book is like, Oh yeah, it's this superhero versus superhero. You're almost always hit with the, how's this balanced? This can't be balanced. This, this is impossible. The thing balance. I like think Superman that, always wins. The thing that, that, that I think the hero system kind of did well was that there's just so many ways you get screwed up. And mm. so there's physical defense. There's, <laughs> there's uh, energy defense. I think there's mental defense. There's power defense. Yeah. Somebody's trying to do it. So in a sense, I think the only way Superman gets screwed up in the comics is with magic, right? Yeah. He gets kryptonite <laughs> it's I, thought, kryptonite. I thought magic could affect him but maybe not. i don't know i don't follow maybe, it. maybe yeah i mean it does I, I i but when i think of superman i always think of like him fighting batman you know like why is batman win uh other than the fact that he's a billionaire you know it's because and actually okay this is actually getting into like real comic book things but it's like batman will always beat superman because superman is not the kind of person who wants to beat Batman. Right. Like it, beating Superman is important to Batman. Beating Batman is not important to Superman. Yeah. It's, it's, Which is, I, I find really just even the idea of Superman just is, I don't know, it's a character is problematic, but people still love Superman. So I'm not going to mm-hmm. diss too hard, but it's just like the guy can do just about anything is perfect. And, and everything he does yeah. is not really compelling. There's yeah, he, oftentimes he's not compelling. There are a few uh, comics out there that I, re- I remember reading. I wish I could remember some of their titles where it's like, oh, okay, this is. I understand the appeal of the character, but it's, but it, it but it, it's rare because you can't do it over and over again. It gets boring. You can't be the same story every time. Like guy who whose only weakness is that uh, he can't be in two places at once. Can only, that story can only be told so many times before it's the most boring story ever. Yeah. And I think it was hard to, is like even with the powers, they they stop making sense. They have to make stop making sense in fiction because like yeah. the Flash would always win. Yeah. You know, or the Speedster oh, yeah. always wins. Yeah. The, the, yeah. Speed Force is uh, the ultimate cheat code. No, just the fact that even like Quicksilver, it's like you're basically stopping time. Yeah, exactly. So why would why would you not win every single battle you're in? Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. So anyway, I'll go with uh, yeah. What's, what's yours? Number two, uh, Broken Earth, which you may not have heard of. I have not heard of Broken Earth. So Broken Earth is a um, Savage Worlds setting. Okay. And yeah, I, I have opinions about Savage Worlds. We've talked about yeah. it a couple of times. Yeah, it's it the the beef. I was excited about it, but my players just they're not they're not. I don't. This is going to sound wrong, but I, I don't think they're old enough to actually like the, to even find a post apocalyptic genre to be fascinating. I think they're just too young. I just. Mm-hmm. I don't. I'm not saying there's nobody young that doesn't, but that's you know many of us growing up in in, in the uh, 80s 
and it's just you know that that was a, a clear and present danger that sort of resonates yeah the cold war yeah i mean it's like yeah i mean it really it's hard to i don't it's just hard to really describe the how like watching red dawn how real that felt mm-hmm. but uh, but anyway so this is actually kind of a uh it is it is a post-apocalyptic game that is actually set up to be kind of somewhat serious. So you could play, it does have like dials where you can add some mutants, some dials, yeah. you, can add some, uh, you can add some intelligent apes, their cybernetics. But really it's, I think they just acquiesce to people for that. But, but even the superpowers are not gamma world-ish. I mean, you may have the ability to start fires or mind or whatever, but they're not like way over the top. Right. And the, and it is, it is pretty, it's pretty real world and pretty grounded. Um, probably more like a Mad Max, but maybe centered a little bit more around community building. There's a lot of solid rules yeah. for building a community. Oh, so that's cool. And I, there are, there are uh, a few RPGs out there that do world like community building. And I got two on my list. Ooh, but but yeah, no, I it's I, I it's one of those qualities in a game that I really enjoy when I see it. How 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 does it do the community building in a? I don't remember fully, but you, I think it's like a character, and you have certain abilities, and then you can oh, cool. and you can buy up with XP. And I don't know, I can't remember if you actually can also like find resources to add. To make that happen, I can't remember. Uh, it's been a bit, which I think would be kind of cool. Yeah, where you could have a map, and you could say, you know, over here is, you know, a bunch of uh, destroyed buildings, but you could salvage out the steel. Unfortunately, there's a tribe here, and you, once you fall mm-hmm. the steel, you're going to use it for, you know, reinforcing your walls. You're going to use it for, you know, that type of stuff would be kind of neat. But I don't think it went to that degree. But but the people you're fighting and the, and the situations you're in. The way it was originally set up, it 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 was pretty much a. There were some mutants, but it was not anything like crazy. It was it was like you say, it felt fairly realistic um, about the whole thing. And I, and the other thing, what was kind of neat, and this may not be original, but the um, I was just flipping through it earlier today. The um, so when you do random encounters, um, use a deck of cards. And so the suits were different things, like like maybe the spades was a weather condition. Maybe the clubs is an enemy. Maybe a hearts is something positive. And then you, you so, you know, the random cows weren't right. just people. It could be, oh, you just stepped into a hot zone. You just absorbed some radiation. Add some rads to your character sheet. Your gums are bleeding. Sorry. <laughs> Bad things, yeah. You just pull out a clump of your hair and you're like, oh no. Yeah, but the problem is, I mean, you know, is I think two things. I think one that people were not excited, and the other one is they just couldn't grok fully grok the the success, you know, when you make those rolls. It just did not yeah. gel. Yeah, it stinks. There's a yeah, that's I mean, what can you do? If it doesn't if it doesn't if they just don't grok it, they don't, it doesn't gel with them, it it falls flat. And I think, but it's interesting. Oh, go ahead. What were you going to say? No. Well, the other thing that was kind of interesting is like there's a big fight in a school. So I found plans to an old high school, multi, you know, two levels. 
Yeah. You know, so you the neat thing about when you're dealing with kind of stuff that's actually more real world is you can pull up plans for yeah, you know, those types of things. Go to a uh, apartment uh like rental place and you can just get floor plans. Yeah. Just type look for a unit and it'll give you a unit and you're like, I want a three bedroom for my adventure. Just click on a three bedroom at a local apartment building in your area and they'll, they'll give you a floor plan. Right. That you can just right click and copy yeah. and download. Uh, but it, I, I want to say since we you you already put it on there, this idea of like drawing cards and helps you generate. One of the RPGs is uh, the Quiet Year, which is have you heard of the Quiet Year? That's a that's the it's a um, computer RPG, it's a in- right? It's a what? It's not the computer RPG. It's, no, what is? No, it? no, it's 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 a it's a tabletop RPG. No, I've never I've. I, I think I may have heard of it, but it, for whatever reason, it doesn't, right. I don't, I'm not, I don't know that I'm really familiar with it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, it's a really little, it's a tiny little game by uh, this uh, designer named uh, Avery Adler. And the concept is that the, the collapse has already happened and you are rebuilding one community, a small little town, a village for one year. The quiet year, the the year that nothing bad happens. So it's kind of got that uh, sort of uh, lacrimose sort of like sense of unease because everyone goes in knowing that like this this village is only going to have one good year right. of rebuild. This is the eye after, of the hurricane. Yeah, now in the and eye, then things are going to get bad. Yeah, so you spend the game drawing cards and the different suits and everything else sort of tell you what's happening and then you interpret from that and there's the one you roll dice and you build up your town and then you watch as after good omens come and bad omens and bad news and all that uh the the bad things start to happen and you watch it erode away so it, it's a it's a really interesting game i i've i've had a couple of friends play it i have not played it i've only read parts of it but i i saw that and i was like oh that that because I knew when we were talking about post, when I knew we were going to talk about post apocalypse, I was like, community building has to be a thing in at least one of my games on the list. So, is it inevitable that the community will die? Is this like ten candles that there's going to be the last town's going to blow out? I don't, I don't think so. I'm, uh, I'm looking at the, the, the description of it right now on my side computer just to be safe. It does say that at the end of the quiet year. The frost shepherds, the frost shepherds, will come, ending the game. What that means, I do not remember, so <laughs> but the, but I can't assume good things. But maybe they don't, because that's almost like Blades in the Dark, where occasionally you just throw stuff out there, and it's like that is a very mm-hmm. evocative. The frost shepherds. Yeah, yeah, but it could very well be like uh, it's like uh, it's that is that narrative device where you just say a thing and never tie it up. Because it gives depth it to does. the world, and it's like uh, the original Star Wars, you know, New Hope, when it was just called Star Wars. I think uh, Ben Kenobi says something about the Clone Wars, and that didn't mean anything, right. except uh, for the longest time. And honestly, it was probably way cooler when it was just this undis- an unexplained thing, because it sounds cool as heck, way cooler than anything. Uh, you could actually film. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It, 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 
You're right. Because I think, you know, of course, when you're running a commercial empire, I mean, you want to extract as much money out of the fan base you can. But you're right. I think the idea that not everything's defined is a great thing and leaving things a mystery. And I think that's where... um, That's a good good thing to take into a post-apocalypse game, too, if you're GMing. Just drop things. Yeah, I agree. want. The Frost Shepherds. Give, okay. Give the world give the world a weird sense of like lived in quality. Like a lot has happened and you're here amongst the ruins of it. Yeah, I mean, even if the Frost Shepherds never show up, but I mean, just to even have that kind of theme going occasionally, you know, a reference. Mm-hmm. You know, there's things like that that are, are that do right. I think that would make for uh adding more more uh flavor grit and I think texture for the, for the setting and the people's minds. Yeah. But I think that could be true for even a lot of different things. And that's why I loved about Blades of the Dark is just, just some stuff he just throws off there. It's like, okay. Yeah. Um, it's great. There's these Leviathans. Where are they? I didn't say. They're, they don't look like, they don't look like uh, whales. No. They, they kind of make it clear that they, they don't look like whales. It's like, what do they look like? Uh, indescribable. <laughs> Excellent, so good. I'm I'm excited by that because, and like also because uh, I think he just says uh, it's written in the book that like when you look into the ocean, it's not actually ocean; it's just black. Yeah, the stars don't reflect. The stars, in fact, the stars don't reflect off of it. Instead, beneath the surface, you can see the twinkle of what appears to be stars below. Yeah, it's just crazy. Like you're, yeah, like you're just sort of floating on another on another sky yeah it's and i think you can also enter the it was the was the like the interdimensional space is like the ghost field or something like that yeah something like that i just always treated it like a weird upside down in my game yeah so we had characters go in and and maybe not great things happen while they're in there but he never explained much about it but you just know as a gm that whatever's there should just not be fun i mean not be uh let's say not fun good yeah, exactly. It's a Pandora's box. <laughs> yeah. You're only going to the, and this is at least what I did in my game, my campaign I ran. It was like, if you go to the ghost field, you're going there because you have no other choice. You're not, you're not doing it out of, like because you want to. Right. Not the first plan that you have is to do that. <laughs> do I really need to go? Do I really have to do that? Yeah. Yes. Anything that have to do with ghosts, you're like, that's not my, that's not the first plan that you should have is to like, <laughs> find a ghost or make more ghosts that those are not the goals. Yeah. I mean, that, that is the other thing The the, you know, the potential for, you know, bodies not being dead, long, being dead long enough to have not have quote unquote given up the ghost, mm-hmm. but they could give up the ghost at the most inopportune time. Yeah. Is uh blades in the dark on your list? No. Yeah. It, it's technically after a calamity, but I don't, Consider it post-apocalypse. I think the reason I wouldn't is because it seems like this is, there's a, a functioning society. Yeah, it's very functioning. It's it's definitely uh, not a society I would want to live in. But I think as far as that world goes, it's stable. definitely, I would say it is very apocalyptic in many ways. Yeah. And in fact, you could, you know, it really wouldn't, I don't think, by default, that setting's that way, but I don't. It wouldn't be that hard to to mm-hmm. crank things a, a, in a 
to crank things up and change a few things to make it more that way. Mm-hmm. Because right now the, the feeling is there is certain safety in the city and there, there is ability to travel to other cities, but that could, yeah. all, but that could all change quickly. Yeah. And, and you, when you get into the game, the world, it's already had wars that have come and gone and like have been fought and it's got all the fixtures of a, a world that you can't, that's livable. And, but I, but I think what's, what's traversable fun about it, it is, it is kind of in some ways a little bit like apocalypse world in that I think the idea, at least, at least starting out, there's a certain amount of desperation to the care, to the characters. Yeah. And uh, I think, there is still an apocalypse, a cop, apocalyptic wasteland in Blades in the Dark. Yeah, but the but the difference in Blades in the Dark is that that apocalyptic wasteland exists just outside the city, beyond the lightning gates, and it exists partly to keep you inside, inside the pressure cooker, where oh, all the action. Wait, is. That, that's the that's the that's the the designer's reason, and that's a beautiful yeah. thing because. Yeah, characters that can just get in their starship and fly off or just no leave the city at any time. Yeah. It's like, what fun is that? No, you are in the city. Other than if you're as a GM, say you leave the city, you're you're no longer playing. Yeah. But I had my, my players left the city at one point and it was it was it was a good, but like it killed one of the characters. Like they lost one of the characters going outside of the lightning wall. Yeah. Yeah. So are you familiar with the history of how this got started? What the game? Yeah, the blades in the dark. How how he came up with this? Isn't it like uh, Dishonored, the RPG essentially? No. Well, what's Dishonored? I know Dishonored is like a video game series that has. Uh, it's got a striking simula- similarity. Oh no! What happened was blades. his characters were playing like a D and D style game. Okay. And it finally came to the end and they made a, a choice and I can't remember the details, but this choice basically like stopped death or people, I mean, it, it's what affected mm. this. And so whatever they did had cataclysmic events in the world. And then he moved it up a thousand years or something like that. Oh, that's cool. I love a good time jump in an RPG, <laughs> like a campaign, like, that's uh, – I can't remember. So I was playing like this weird homebrew game that was like taking some old rules. And we did a time jump where it's like – because I wanted to do the trope where like you have really, really good heroes who are like great at what they do, like terrifyingly yeah. good. Have them retire. Have them live their lives, you know, have kids and everything else and then be dragged out of retirement. It's the one of the coolest like tropes yeah. I love in, in cinema. And so I was like, all right. We're going forward 20 years. And, you know, we had all these all sorts of characters. So what system who, uh, are you using? I was using a uh, modified uh, system of like Call of Cthulhu, like basic role playing system. Okay. Did you, did you, did you mess with the characteristics? Uh, no, I don't believe so. So Traveler, uh, so Traveler, uh, you, you would roll each, um, uh, each term every four years and paying what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And, but the thing is, is as you'd age, you, you know, you keep rolling, you get more skills, but as you age, your stats would start to to drop. Right. <laughs> so yeah. there's that, that balancing act where it's like, okay, now you're 20 years. Like 
thinking like, did you ever see Red, the, the movie? Retired, but extremely yes. dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, okay, you know. All the spies. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure Bruce Willis was still doing all that stuff, but, you know, but they're all like, you know, they're 60s and it's like, you know. Yeah. I, uh, it's, it's one of the reasons why I think everyone should play Pendragon if it's, if it's at all in their space, because you play a dynasty of, of a family where you play the dad and then you play their offspring and then the, their offspring. Yeah. I think that's, I'm hoping once I, I mean, the idea would be ideal situation where I could be retired in a retirement community that's heavily uh, populated by by RPG people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, okay, yeah. we are going to play Pendragon for two years. Okay. Yeah, because you, it's kind of one of those games, like the great Pendragon campaign, which is like the Greg Stafford's like magnum opus of his entire like RPG career, which his RPG career is quite good. Yeah, you know, it's quite storied, and this is his thing that he considers his best work. Uh, it takes ages. I I only was able to play it because I was in undergrad and you have time. So we played it every but week. You got to have the right GM. So like, right. Yeah. We, yeah, I had a, a guy who was uh, quite literally a history professor now. And you also have the right play. That's the thing is you have to the right GM. You have to the right players mm-hmm. because this is not, yeah. a, this is not murder hobos, you know, situation. No. Yeah. Yeah. This is a game where literally if you go up to fight somebody, there's always the chance that they, they always get the option to stab you back. Right. When you stab them. And and uh, when you get when you get stabbed in Pendragon, the way the game is played structurally is the adventures happen this summer, and the downtime happens in the winter. And if you get stabbed in the summer, your character will literally be bedridden for like four months during the winter, just like sitting there, just clutching their midriff as they like try to stay alive. So what he's saying is, I do not want this to be a certain type of game, and I'm going to implement something that's going to be a lot of risk if you engage in this activity. You can still mm-hmm. do it. It's your choice, yeah. but be aware. Yeah. <laughs> you may get that jerk <laughs> in the intestines and you'll regret yeah. it. You're, there's a lot of a great many Pendragon uh, knights just die in, the, in some mud. <laughs> That's the end of it. Well, even like with Traveler, I mean, it's that game system. Um, it is it is pretty deadly. I mean, the potential is mm-hmm. you could get taken out with one or two shots. It's it's always there. Yeah. And so the intent was you're not wanting, you know, the, your hammer is not going to be your your pistol. You know, that you are going to, it's your, the hammer you want to use is your wits, not, not your, you know, your ability to shoot things, even though that's what we all did, but yeah, <laughs> it's your kids, but you know, and, and even space combat, yeah, it's the other thing with the games with space combat. This is what's always hard to me. So you have ship to ship combat. Well, what happens <laughs> if you get hit with the ship's <laughs> weapon? Or just not even like your ship gets taken out because taken out and you know could be the disintegration of the hull. Mm-hmm. Okay, now what? You're out. <laughs> everybody's out. I, the whole group's yeah. out. Everybody's out. Like, yeah, there's no there's no surviving uh, being dragged out of a <laughs> three inch hole in the hull. You know, like it's not extrusion. Not good. Yes. Yeah, it's not great. But listen to Mark uh, talk about it. Is that was his intent was like you shouldn't be engaged in ship to ship combat until you bought up all these armaments and all this armor over time. This is not something you just mm-hmm. say, you know what, I'm just going to do this. It's not like 
you know, you, you better be sure this is what you want to do before you engage right. into it. Cause it's, it's, it's got, it's got, it's, um, but same thing with the pen dragon. The idea is like you can do this, you can do this, but yeah. just be aware. Yeah. I, I had a, a guy who did exactly what you said earlier. It's like got really good in lots of skills, but could not get coughed on without dying. You know, it was just absolutely the weak, frailest person there is. And, uh, but the cool thing is there's one skill is called, I think battle or whatever. And basically the premise is like, you're the guy, it is the quintessential skill of wooden little soldiers on a, on a map and your character pushing them. Okay. And deciding outcomes. Right. right. And so I was like, Oh, I, and that's and my, and my GM realized it when I realized it was like, I have a son who's super bad at all the thinky things but he has all the stats that let him just stab and get stabbed and do everything else. So I was like, his dad can be the one who, do, who tells him what to do in the tent. So I had oh, these two character sheets yeah, side yeah. by side and, and the dad's sitting there being like the, the mastermind of the war. And then the son's the one who goes out into the field and wins it after the uh, odds have been stacked, <laughs> yeah. you know, thanks to the, uh, my first character, basically uh, putting the thumb on the scale, right. But the new character, but that was like one of those things where it was just like, and then, and that, and that, that whole dynamic of like the, the first character, the first generation versus the second generation existed with all the players. Cause some of them, they were like, they didn't have like really skilled first characters, but they had like lots of money, right? Like their character was loaded. Right, from like previous, uh, you know, good investments with their their castle or whatever. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. The idea is where you you can also have there you you, you can be generating income and such on the side is yeah because you're you're a lord, right? So mm-hmm. those things go. So is it your turn for the next one, or is it my turn? I can't remember. Uh, yeah, I think it may be my turn. Okay. I think yours is uh, Broken Earth. Uh, no, because then I did uh. Well, it doesn't matter. I'm going to take it anyway. You just seize it. Just like uh, we, yeah. rolled, we rolled the 2D6, you rolled a yeah. 10 plus. I, I, got a, I got a 12. Uh, <laughs> dialect. Have you heard no, of the, no. the game? Dialect? No, no. It is a, uh, it's another indie game. It's a, but it's, it's, first off, it's the most elegant looking physical game I've ever bought. It's gorgeous cover, very simple. The premise of the game is that it, it's, it's got a pretty lofty tagline. So let's go ahead. I'm just going to read it verbatim so I don't mess it up. A game about language and how it dies. What's it called again? Dialect. Okay. I think I might have seen that somewhere, but there's another. Looks like it's not. A, there's also another game that it made me think of, but it's not it. So go ahead. What's it about? So basically the premise is that, uh, you know, Language tells a story. Every uh, community has a language. And so it, it's essentially like a world building game where you are building a world by defining how it communicates. And then the game is uh, basically after you've built that, you see how that language is lost. You see how the uh, town is destroyed and falls apart and disappears uh, through its language. And it's a weird what uh, they have lots of different scenarios and there are a lot, not all of them are what you would think they'd be like. So obviously there's like the idea of like a historical, like, Oh, there's like a, like a civilization that has a language and then a calamity happens and they disappear. But they also have things like a cult because cults have their own language. Or uh, 
Space Station was another one that they had. Or like animals. Like uh, specifically, uh, what's the classic Watership Down? It's like an example. Have you ever read that book? No, I know. Or, I'm very or familiar. Are you, not watched, or are you unscarred? I'm unscarred. Yeah, I've, I've, I haven't even watched the video. But yeah. I'm, well, I'm well aware of just the general premise, but I've, and I've had a friend yeah. who loved it. But no, I'm, I'm, I remain unscarred. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's rough. It's, it, it's, it's, it's quite frankly a crime that uh, so many children have watched it, thinking it was, <laughs> or read it, thinking it was going to be for them. And it's not. Oh, the cute but, bunnies. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, and it turns out it's a, it's a, it's, it's a story about fascism and genocide and diaspora and everything else in between. Uh, but yeah, no. So dialects, dialects is great because on its, what it, at the end of the day, what it really is, it's just like uh, the quiet year. It's about you build up, you build up a community and then you watch the community collapse from like an outside external force that's destroying it. But the way the game frames it is through sort of the way that uh, is through language, how they talk. And so you're kind of like building rules for your game and then deconstructing those rules as the uh, sort of apocalypse is happening around them. It's really fascinating. It's like, it's almost like an art book. Yeah. Like you would almost want to show, like if, uh, if there was a hall of fame for RPGs that, could theoretically be used in the classroom dialect would be on the list easily yeah i mean that's that is very interesting and but you know when you first were saying i was kind of thinking like with england of like maybe the way the language gets dominated but it's really nice about the people by invaders and whatnot yeah exactly it's like it's like it's so you know it's you know why it's kind of one of this mishmash but it's actually so you're doing a language game but the language game is representing what's actually happening in the society. Yeah, no, it's it, exactly. It's more or less, it, it's, it's just like a framing for how it, it works. And it, I wish I could explain it in better, in better ways, but it, it really is something that has to be like read to be experienced and understood. And then, and then like, and then once you do, you're like, Oh, I get it now. Like there's a, like there's one where it's a the the setup the setting is literally a betterment cult like the idea of like self like the idea of a uh, like a multi level marketing firm you know how they all have their own voice and language yeah. where they're like oh, self actualized and then you're gonna find your followers and you're gonna all that kind of stuff that they do they've modeled it into a game in dialect it's crazy it's great yeah it's you know I think. You know, so originally, you know, D&D, some miniatures, dragons, heroes, roll some dice. Mm-hmm. Okay, I killed them. I get the experience. To, to this, it's really pretty phenomenal, really. Yeah. It, it definitely makes you uh, say like, oh, okay. It's, it's kind of crazy that they could even be considered to be in the same, like, j- medium. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It, it, I think that just is just so astounding, and I think you know Rob and Lawsmere while was talking about you know people think that RPGs have been around a long time. He says no, they're still in their infancy. 
Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, you know, it's people pushing these things to boundary to areas we've never ever thought about is what I think is, is so amazing. Yeah. So my next one will be moral project. I don't know that one. Okay. So we're, we're giving each other a bunch of rant. Yeah. This okay, is great. This is one of my most favorite bad games out there. Oh, excellent. I'm very excited. <laughs> So the premise was, you know, we, you know, we talk about, you know, the science fiction having kind of this bizarre premise that you just accept so that you can do everything else that you need to do. So like fashion light travel. So the, the premise was this is there's a man named Tom Morrow who could go into the future. Okay. He goes in the future, says, oh, bad things are happening. Nuclear exchange. I can't fix this goes back in time, gets some businessmen, some industrialists. They're like, you know what? This is going to happen. We can't stop it. But what we can do is we can um, get some people, put them in suspension, uh, cryogenic suspension, and then wake them up shortly after all this exchange happens and they can rebuild society. Okay. So there's one group. That was uh, that are the recon. Uh, mm-hmm. So there's Mars. They're strictly military. Uh, there's a science science teams, but there's also recons, and they're usually the group is made up of maybe a one or two military people, but they're but they're also people that have skills that would be useful shortly after bad things happen. So it could be civil engineers, dentists, doctors, nurses. Bad biologists, botanists, uh, whatever, chemists. Mm-hmm. And so so they're supposed to wake up like, let's say, a, a year after the, the stuff happens. But they don't. But they don't. The signal comes yeah. out like 100 years too late. So instead mm-hmm. of, you know, they finally blow the bunker open and, you know, it's there's a force there where there wasn't before or, or whatever. So they have a lot of resources with them. But but they're now they're going out. It's about hundred years later, and they're trying to kind of rebuild civilization in a way, mm-hmm. which is a it's a wonderful premise. I mean, and there's so much of it that's just really really cool. It's just you know the mechanics. You know, it was it was definitely simulationist to a, a degree that boggles the mind. You know, so, yeah. so you get hit, you go into shock, you know, you're bleeding, you count all the rads of radiation, you oh follow the gosh. chart, you know, each weapon had an energy value and, and is based mm. off of, you know, the caliber and the, you know, it's just like, it, it's just like, it's, it's not, and even the skills, even though the premise was, hey, you guys are these people uh, with all these skills, there was really no good way to implement in a way that actually mattered. You know, it still was gun oh. porn and military vehicles. Right. You know, it, it's it, like, it sounds it sounds a little bit like a like a missed opportunity. Yeah, they, they came out of the new version. I thought, oh, they're going to correct that. And, and they really didn't. They didn't. <laughs> so they just created oh, more, no. you know, fractions of skills. The point where, OK, you're are you a That's regular funny. dentist? Are you autom- or, uh, uh, or, uh, or what's the orthodontist? You know, or, you know, it's just like. This, this stops making, just give somebody medical, mm-hmm. you know, and just if, if they would have simplified it and say, and then in the game say, you know what, in the scenario say, Hey, you know what, 
you know, if you have these types of skills, then then you'll be valued by these people. If you have these types of skills, you have these opportunities. But uh, so it kind of it provided all this potential. So like one of the big scenarios is Chicago. You go up to Chicago and you have all these, you know, different different uh, groups, which still don't mm-hmm. really make sense because they're kind of long ethnic lines, which is kind of odd. But anyway. So anyway, it's a it's a very neat. I, I recommend that if you have a chance to look at some of the modules, it, it is it is very it, it really tried hard. And I think it. Yeah. But but it's just it didn't provide the tools for like social navigating social, you know, um, well, social issues, but social. There's no like a, like I don't say social comment, but there's really not a whole lot in there that that engages on a social level or political level or anything right. like that. Which is, which is weird when uh, you can have characters who could be chemists and yeah. botanists and everything. Like, wouldn't would discussion be one of the tools of the trade of rebuilding a world with those skill sets? Yeah, but, and I think, you know, that's just where it, that's where it failed to provide the guidance. But that's, to me, is the game I would love to, to do, uh, to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I were to revamp, it would be to, to, to use the, um, to do moral project, but with, with better, with a better system. Yeah. Really focused on, uh, I, yeah, it just sounds like it reemphasize the non-combat portion. And I think that's the thing that's problem with a lot of post-apocalypse is like a lot of them get really hung up on the, the violence part of the world. Yes. Post calamity. Which is which? We're playing RPGs, so normally that is one of the more concrete ways for there to be conflict. But like, I've always, I, I really, I, I specifically picked things on my list with the intent that I'd be like, it's not all just going to be about how we should all be in a militia, yeah, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> don't want it only be that. And the thing is, it's like even your because the other thing you have a nuclear powered vehicles. So that's the other thing. That you mm-hmm. But you have like items for negotiation, like. You have you have so much gold. You have so many bottles of whiskey. You know they actually have you know stuff for like doing negotiations. You know they actually have yeah. some gold. You, you know it just depending on the situation. It's like, but really with no means of utilizing that in a meaningful way in the rules. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. It, it it kind of uh, betrays one of the most important things of like post apocalypse. Which is that the richest people in any post apocalyptic post apocalyptic scenario are the ones who have food or water, and then and then it's people with guns. Like after that, yeah. You know? And what's kind of interesting too is because you know the game could go that because you have all this stuff, people are going to want it, and you're only like, you know, how many characters are in your group? Four or five? You know, mm-hmm. you know now there's hundreds of people who desire what you have. You know. What are you going to do? How are you going to deal with that? I mean, that's that's kind of yeah. interesting. But I think that's. But honestly, I think that's just a problem with all most of the games uh, or a lot of the games in the eighties. I just don't think they just knew what to do. It's like they right. they kind of had this great idea, but you know what what the next step was. Yeah. How do you and yeah? How do you execute on this premise? Because like that's the thing is like all those a lot of those games we were. We're talking about you know briefly off off the record, but it's like something like uh, Expedition to Barrier Peaks has a great premise. Its, ex- its execution is leave something to be desired. Like 
oh yeah, you're gonna go to a dungeon that just sort of appeared overnight. It's actually a spaceship, <laughs> which is they crash landed. That's cool. That's one of the coolest things ever. And then, and I think that was an ad actually for Gamma World. Oh, well, like it was an ad. Barrier, expedition at Barrier Peaks. It was I Gary think, Gygax uh, saying uh, Gamma World was doing so well. He's like, hmm, I'll just bring that to D and D. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I thought I wasn't sure if it was like a TSR. Like, how do we get more people to know about Gamma World? I think let's, I think Gary was, just, was very fascinated with the. Uh, so there's two things I think. I think one was that Gary was just thought that was fun what James was doing and decided to mm-hmm. do. I think the other thing is, you know, it kind of goes back to, I think the, 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 even I don't think there was explicitly much uh, science fiction in most of the TSR products. I think the, the literature of the seventies and even some of like Dave Arnest yeah. stuff did mix the science yeah. fantasy into their, their horror yeah. fantasy. Well, D and D is explicitly uh, a result of pulp fiction, which which included weird science, uh, yeah. weird fantasy, and weird fantasy is aliens fighting apes in the jungle with Conan the Barbarian just there for some reason. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> swinging a sword. <laughs> so, but, you know, the, the, like, but that's the beauty of the, the Conan games. It's like you don't have to explain anything. Suddenly, he's there. In fact, I think yeah. those are the best, uh, the most successful ones is with just episodic. I did a Conan game using a different system I've, uh, I hacked, but you could just start anywhere and all of a sudden you're here. Yeah, yeah. I, I, there's like a famous uh, cover, like, com- like book cover where it's just, it's Conan the Barbarian and Daffy Duck. <laughs> like just Daffy Duck's got a sword in their hand. What's also neat about that, awesome. you can play it in, in a nonlinear way. Mm-hmm. You could have characters die. You could They could come back, but just say it's an earlier, yeah. before the it's time. Earlier they, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because yeah, like uh, p- part of the joke of uh, Conan is every time he, sh- he shows up, it's like, wasn't he like in charge of things? Not this one. <laughs> <laughs> he just, and like, I, I they, they don't even like there's one where uh, I was reading it the other day where it's like Conan's fighting essentially S- Swedish like Vikings, you know, <laughs> just like and like, why is this? Why is this uh, d- the black haired uh, Conan the Barbarian just here in these Alps well, fighting uh, Northmen? The Hyperborean or Hyborian, I guess, the way uh, mm-hmm. he did it. Have you, have you looked Primary. at a Hyborian map? No, I haven't. Okay, so this is the premise. So this is the premise of the world. So imagine Africa, you know, was it uh, being smushed into Europe? Okay. So like that, not Pangaea, but it's that kind of thing. So imagine it being smushed up into Europe. Imagine every single um, popular ancient culture just smashed up against each All other existing at the same time oh that's fun <laughs> so, yeah, that's immediately fun yeah, yeah you, like, they're all there you know egypt's or uh, egypt's that's, there. Yeah, the, that's like the uh the daydreams of every history like student at some point it's like i wonder if the aztecs would do really well in a fight against romans you know just like weird like oh match-ups. yeah so yeah. that's that's that, so aquilonia the answers was, they do great was, i think like the, the franks way. You know, the Sumerians, I think, were just, uh, I'm not sure what they were. So they have the Picts, who are kind of problematic. 
But mm-hmm. yeah, they're they every yeah, one is an analog. This is the not Persia, this is the not Egypt, this is the not China. Yeah. Yeah, there's a b- big disclaimer when you go into any of the old fashioned pulps of like the 50s, 60s, 70s, and so it's like you should you should be ready for some outdated things. <laughs> get, yeah, get ready. And and uh <laughs> well actually, you know, yeah, it's you know, the other one is like, and it gets in my mind lately, it's like, where are the black people? And so if you look yeah. at there, it, it, at least with if Howard's, they were relegated to a very small part and it wasn't done in a very good way. But, you know, 90% of it was, you know, pretty much Caucasian of some, some yeah, variety. God. But I was also thinking like Greyhawk. It's like, yeah. there's no black people in Greyhawk either. And that's, no, it's... It's bad. Yeah, it's not great. Uh, oh, go ahead. No, it's just the the and it, it's part of it's just like you know bias and all, also Gygax is pulling from his his the things he liked. Yeah, which were not very diverse. Well, so his world wasn't very diverse. And in some ways, I mean, early on, it's it's like I kind of get it, and I think you know it's like we can kind of fault him, but still, it's like it started out with. Greyhawk was him and his buddies, you know, and he wasn't necessarily, yeah. you know, and it sort of developed, but, but man, there's just stuff later. It's still like, you know, there's even Ugh. another person doing a hyper, a, a game and he's come out of third edition. I'm like, all the, all the quote unquote races listed. I'm like, is there anybody from India that's represented or anybody from Africa yeah. And he kind of said something, and then I just I am'd him. I did really get on the Facebook, and I was like, are there any black people in here? Because he never really answered that. And I think the answer is no, because he never answered. Yeah. And it's like, here we are in, you know, 2021. It's, it's, it's Conan. There's nothing, there's nothing sacred about making it more diverse and, you know, right. more interesting. It, it would just be more interesting with uh, – more, more, more people, more perspectives, more culture, and yeah, exactly. Um, and then he was doing like it's just weird. It was just weird. But then I looked at another setting, um, which is kind of a, a kind of a analog hyperion, and they're like, no, they were very systematic. Like, no, we have like ten peoples, and it seemed like they yeah. they tried to be pretty representative. I think mean, there's nothing that's just kind of like you know, you know, ick. Um, but yeah. anyway, I'm not sure what, I guess, <laughs> this is perfectly it, well, what, what, what it says, it goes to show you though, it's like, there's some really good games out there that are, uh, you know, taking that approach and it shows how much better they are. Like I think of, uh, like Call of Cthulhu has always been problematic because HP Lovecraft is one of the worst people who <laughs> like just an awful human being. He hated everybody. He, if you, he was prejudiced against people who enjoyed happiness, like, the guy was a complete bigot to his core, but uh, but he still would. He, people found some sort of value in his stories that he did not intend to put in there that had that meant, meant something. And uh, I think of uh, I'm trying to remember the uh, the name of the more recent products, but like Trail of Cthulhu is a lot more interesting uh cthulhu confidential specifically if you, have you ever heard of that one e, well so it's, it's based it's a off one to one it's based off the dracula confidential but I'm, I'm assuming it yeah cthulhu confidential is 
just it's a it's a one it's one GM one player. No, I take it back. I was stuff. thinking Drac. Or I was thinking the Dracula dossier. Yeah. So no, I'm not familiar with the. Yeah. So what was this again? The the. Well, so Cthulhu Confidential is uh one GM one player. A, it's a one GM one player sort of gumshoe system, and one of the things that they did in it is they the protagonists are. Either they're either a young woman or it's a uh, black war veteran who is a detective in DC. And the point of it is actually makes a lot of sense, which is like in Lovecraft stories, it's all the, the outsider is the one who comes in and sees the, the crazy, the, the mind bending right. thing. They're the one who comes into the town that is operated by cultists or whatever. And so these more modern writers, uh, they, you know, playing, they, they recognize it's like, well, if you're going into a town and you're just, who, who better to recognize something's wrong than someone who's already ostracized from the beginning, right. who's already feels like an, who, when they walk into a room, the eyes are on them immediately. And so the, the, the ventures in it are really, really rich and exciting and interesting and, there's a uh, quite a few different games like that where you're seeing uh, the re the I don't want to say rehabilitation because it's not that it's more like uh, people taking a game and making it more than what it actually well, we just was. Say, I mean, we could just say that the instead of Lovecraft being an author, we can just kind of think of the work as being a genre. Yeah, exactly. It's a uh, cosmic horror. Yeah. It's not Lovecraft. Yeah, Lovecraftian horror anymore. Yeah, well, I mean, going with the movies and such, it's like you know there's a point where it's like, we've seen this point of view so many times. It's like, you know, it's like, it's not very interesting anymore. I mean, and so it's like when you start saying, Oh, let's, let's see stuff from other people's point of view. Like I really watched, have you seen, you get get something new? Pardon? You get something new then. Like, yeah. Have you you seen Kung Fu, the TV series? No. Well, I watch a little bit. My wife enjoys it, but it's, you know, so the the TV series originally was very prob- was kind of problematic. Yeah, so they, sure. they had an Asian played by David Carradine. <laughs> oh God. So, anyway, but they did all they set in modern times, and it's an Asian family, mm-hmm. and using Asian terms of endearment. And I just thought, you know what? It's just nice to actually see somebody from a different culture. You know how they live, and it makes them both. I think it's much more interesting, but it also it it familiarizes you, and they're no longer like other, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, because they're they're the, they're different, but they're the same, you know. So, all right. and I think that's where it's like it is kind of more interesting, where all of a sudden they, you know, have different names for their grandmother and grandfather, and they talk about having come from another country and you know having to deal with certain things. It's like it's how we learn. We're just you know those those different points of view are much more interesting, especially after for me fifty years of. You know, it's like, yeah, it's like, yeah you, you're ready for something new. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, even look at like, you know, Black Panther, you know, that was, you know, a very interesting take. It's like that, that can only be done kind of that Afro uh, futurism, you know, it, it, was a, it was a very fun, refreshing take that every, and it, and it found out that before nobody believed that that would be sellable, but it ended up being one of the biggest, you know, blockbusters. Yeah. Well, it goes to show what what little so many uh, like what little imagination some people have because yeah now now we know it's like how could it not have made 
so much money. I mean, it's such a, it's such a cool concept. It's so novel and unique and it, there's nothing else like it in the superhero like genre. Why wouldn't it make like lots of money if it's still shot and like Killmonger is still one of the coolest villains. I think he may be the coolest villain that they've ever made. And I I am including that up against like Thanos. Yeah. I think uh, somebody stated that Marvel generally has more interesting they put the emphasis on the characters more than the villains, but I do agree that that he was the the actor was out of this world great. Yeah, Michael B. Jordan. Yeah, yeah he's great. Yeah, I guys, could, the guy, the guy, the guy uh, even when his character was saying like absolutely heinous stuff, it's like like he could just deliver that message with such confidence as a, as an actor. Where I was like, Phew, hard not to d- disagree, <laughs> hard to disagree with him. Yeah, and I think that it, right, it's. Um, and also, like, the, the problem with – I think the problem is with sympathetic villains is they just – there's a point where it just – it's it becomes old. And I understand why they mm-hmm. do it, but, like, they made Doc Ock kind of sympathetic, and then they made yeah. – you know, it's just like – stop. But this guy was, like – it was done in a very believable, intelligent way that you'd be sympathetic. Yeah. It's that uh, I mean they they recently there was a movie that came out where they had that 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 became a no it wasn't a movie it was uh, Falcon the Winter Soldier oh my goodness like this whole premise of like we're gonna make sympathetic villains whose argument for why they're doing the thing is almost infallible like they're one hundred percent correct yeah. so that and they 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 write themselves in these corners where it's like the only way we can make them not the heroes and make our heroes still the heroes is by just making the villains do some heinous thing. Yeah. And I think that's where people, right. They've gone too far and there's no no pulling back and they, the rhetoric starts becoming the thing rather than. Yeah. But see, cause when I watch it, I like the first episode, the second, the third and the fourth, I was just like, eh. And the fifth hit, I was like, Oh my goodness. Yeah. When I, when I was watching it and I realized I, I, I could feel it in the back of my head while I was watching, like, I think the second episode where I was like, they're not laying it on thick enough that us agent is definitely a bad guy. Like, right. This, this cannot be a nuanced take because it's not a nuanced kind of character. Like, right. And sure enough, like on, online, like there's tons of people who are like U.S. agent, like wow, what a great character, like it's interesting new superhero. It's like no, he's not a superhero; he's a villain. He's he's an antihero at best in the beginning, but he becomes a villain, at least especially in the comic books. But like, there's nothing about him that is uh, like Captain America, right? And I think what's interesting is, I think they, so I think what they do is. He's definitely not a good guy. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that he's a hundred percent sympathetic, but but at least his actions are logical in a sort of way that you could say, Yeah, I can see this. Yeah. And like you can see the betrayal he feels by his government. He can feel his attempt to become this hero, and but he was a flawed person, which led him to, yeah. to it's just like, okay. This is this is very logically laid out and believable, mm-hmm. and I thought, yeah, I, I, I that was just amazing. I think, 
Yeah. The, yeah, I, I felt like they just didn't they weren't they didn't lay it on thick enough that it's like well the problem with this guy is he doesn't have it's it's not the results that he's getting that that's the problem or like the lack of results. It's not his relationship to the other characters, it's the fact that he doesn't have the values right. that Captain America has, which means that he is inherently flawed. Like he cannot he he cannot be fixed. They they said that his somebody was making a, a nose this way is that his costume his Captain America costume lacked white, and white's a symbol of purity. Mm. And so unlike Steve Rogers, he lacked purity, and that's that's he was corrupt. Yeah, weird. <laughs> it's I don't know. Oh God. Ugh. Yeah. The whole, yeah. Anyway, point being is like. Where, where, where do we get on this? We got this. We got here from sympathetic <laughs> villains and Michael B. Jordan's amazing performance in Black Panther. The the RPG, by the way, that I was going to say that I couldn't whose name I couldn't remember is Harlem Unbound, which is that's a post apocalyptic game. Harlem Unbound is no, it's I'm, I'm it's the uh, post it's a it's a Harlem um, is a Cthulhu style game. It's it's a it's a source book for Call of Cthulhu. That's set in uh, the Harlem Renaissance at its height, and so it's it really kind of recontextualizes a lot of uh, sort of this cosmic horror yeah. from the perspective of that community. It, it probably the closest thing we have as an example of something like that is probably like Lovecraft Country on HBO, which has like a similar thing where it takes a community of people and then shows the opposing community, the majority, which is, you know, the sort of racist white people who also happen to be ingrained in the Lovecraft sort of horror, but are like totally cool with it, which is a problem, right? That's, the, <laughs> that's a problem. That's the whole premise, yeah, right? It. Like what makes it horrifying. But uh, yeah, that, that's the game I was thinking of, but couldn't think of earlier. Okay. So just want to make sure if you're interested in a really good Lovecraft, uh, Lovecraft, Cosmic Horror, Call of Cthulhu source book, Harlem Unbound, second edition. So it's not a it's not a series of adventures. It's a source book. It's a source book. So it's got like it's got it's got a lot of background, which for Call of Cthulhu games is like bread and butter, right? Like it's nothing but hooks. So I don't run Cthulhu games, um, but there's mm-hmm. a guy in our group who runs Trailer Cthulhu. And so um, we did play the one with the is the Hollywood themed one. The, I, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I can't remember the name it of was, it though. Yeah, it was it was basically Universal Monsters. Everyone was like, mm-hmm. and, and that was hit or miss. Each one was hit or miss. It was it was uneven, very uneven. Yeah, but um, anyway, so the so do you have another one for the post apocalyptic? I got one more. All right. It'll, it'll be all that's left of me for the night. Okay. I have a couple honorable mentions. Uh, <laughs> I was going to, I was going to say uh mutant crawl classics. Yeah. Which is gamma world, but with dungeon crawl classics, like rules and mindset applied to it, I think. But I, yeah, I think that's probably, here's the deal. I would probably would never play gamma world again, but I would definitely would play mutant crawl classics. Yeah. Oh, um, cause it's fun. It's like they, 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 they know how to real steer into the skin exactly they dial you're right they 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 leaned heavy into the right things and ignored some of the others 
Yep. The other honorable mention I have is ultraviolet grassland. Well, see, that's what I was thinking too. And when you were saying, I don't know if it counts, and I didn't have it on mine, but I don't think it technically is. But the I, yeah, it's it's not, but it has like maybe it isn't because it's but it it is in a it's a journey game where you're yes, it's a point crawl. Well, you're your a point crawl that you're moving as far as you can to the boundary of the world because you want to get to this other place. Yeah, the other side. the black city is it? Yeah, I think it's something like that. Yeah, it may have a really it might it has that and then like a sub name that's like really long like yeah. <laughs> the abyss you know uh but it has a lots of like location-based adventures that have the feel and the qualities and the sort of touchstones of a post-apocalyptic oh it's place. it certainly does it, it's got mega structures that belong to alien worlds that are long since passed and it has weird tribes and communities who are in the state of decay or refuge oh, yeah. or what and it yeah. and, but it even has even other things in there like so have you seen the beta rules or you ever looked at the beta rules no um there's a free download they took out so there's one table he had where you could say what and I don't see it in the in the book I think he took it out, but what's your reason for going on this journey? Oh, why would that be removed? I don't that's know. A, that's a great rule. But the that's a that's a great question. Yeah. So the, I, see if you can find. But like one of them was you're on this journey because you have to get these certain parts and to end the world. And if you do it, mm. maybe it happens. Maybe another one is you're going to get in a spaceship and fly off. You know, I mean, there's like yeah, these going to leave. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that were kind of in there that that, that oh, I'll have to check it out now. But if you yeah, can't find it, it, go look at the free version off off one of the websites. Uh, it's a free version. Mm. Um, yeah. But anyway, so yeah, I think it 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 feels like it feels like one. It does. It just isn't explicitly one. Because I don't know what the calamity is. I don't know what the previous civil world was before the the, uh, the inciting incident that makes the world so weird. But you have mechanical things that have gone wild. Yep. You have, And you got all those like touchstone like things that your character does with the world that are all post-apocalyptic sort of themes and there's 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 also there's modern and uh, super futuristic weapons Mm -hmm. yep and i and i didn't i'm not read through it all i mean he's added some stuff with the moon and things like that so there's i think there's a there's there might be a spaceship in the sky or a space station you can get to so there's a lot of like little pieces there that it makes it appear I don't know. I don't know how. To, I think that it's. It doesn't. Right. It doesn't have an apocalypse, but it, it's. It's definitely a mashup. Yeah, it feels. It's. It, like I said, it feels like apocalypse without having. It doesn't have just the right amount of apocalypse stuff for me to be like able to say yes. But it does that have. Is it does have some Mad Max to it. Yeah. But it's also got some Mobius thrown in in there. Oh, it's a lot of Mobius. Like it's just the art. Like the art is screams it, right? Like, but yeah, yeah, no, it, it, for it, sure. Yeah, so I and I think the and also, but the elements are just so bizarre. So some of those people um, are just, I mean, just some strange, crazy 
you know, um, mm-hmm. I can't remember what the names are. There's, there's some princes. There's like the porcelain princes, and there's another yeah. group of people that are what just a great suits. Name, by the way. Porcelain princes. Yeah, cool. he had the porcelain throne there for a while, and <laughs> which is funny. Yeah, <laughs> I, I get it. Nice one. Have you ever Have you ever <laughs> interacted with Luca? I've never interacted with Luca. No, not I, I've only been a big fan. Okay, so I early on, um, he well he started the Discord, and the dude is like hugely responsive to people, and you got any questions mm-hmm. or whatever. And he's just amazing. I even, I wrote an adventure and I was looking, I went to him to say, you have any proofreaders or anybody that you know of that I could, you know, it would be a real price. He's like, I don't have anything going on right now. Why don't you send it to me? I'm like, what? <laughs> and so he came and he just, he laid, he laid down some, some of his thoughts. It's like, oh my yeah. goodness. I, that was very generous of a person. Yeah. That's great. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. I don't have anything going on. Just send it to me. I'll, I'll look it over this weekend. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, he's 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 absolutely. I don't know how he puts out what he phenomenal. Yeah, you know, very because he does all that art. He does all the layout. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he did all the layout this time, but I, he definitely worked hard with the layout. I know. Yeah. Like, he 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 was for those tables. He did. He studied font sizes on tables for readability, and, and he went. Because somebody started pushing back. Yeah, somebody started pushing back on, and that's another thing. If you re- I would read that, I haven't done for a while, but people would like start pushing back on him. I was like, have you? He'd be like, have you done any research on this? If not, do not be telling me because I have studied, measured how they do yeah. it in five E. You know, and you know, don't be just saying, yeah, yeah it's got to be twelve points or it's no good or whatever nonsense the guy was saying. Yeah, it's yeah, that's not true. It's actually not true. <laughs> In fact, uh, I, I, I love the word. I found a word now uh, that I really enjoy to use because I, I will consult on layout for different RPGs out there. Like, you know, after I've talked so at length, I'm like, people are like, hey, can you do my thing? And I was like, sure. And they're like, what's, what's your rate? And I was like, just give me your game. And when you're trying to lay out, now, now this is out. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you don't want me to redact that? No, 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 no. Now, now, I, I, my rate has gone. Up. Okay, I have no. <laughs> so it's gone up from zero. Yeah, it's gone up from zero. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, the point being though, uh, it, I the word that like, somebody would feel like they're obligated. Like I have to make my font like twelve points, like just the body copy. I was like, no, you, you don't have to do that. Like that, that just makes everything look really horsey. Yeah. Like it's kind of weird looking. Like uh, what you need is a good typeface a good font that can work at 11 point font and that's what you're, you're looking for you can even go down to 10 it's just, it's, a, it's about the font choice it's not about the size because yeah. some typefaces just they're not legible no matter how big they get and, and it's also your spacing you're leading between your yeah. lines too so that yeah, all yeah. Be- yeah the the letting is important the uh the x height of the different yeah. letters Letter forms is important, and then of course, like there's there's a there's a lot of weird things like uh, what file format you're using if it's going to be a digital only product will have an impact, and then of course, uh, and this is the thing that's the most important part about accessibility is a thing that's accessible for one person may not will actually sometimes be less accessible for another person. So, like for instance, you can go and uh, make something a certain color for a certain type of color blindness and be like, I've done it. 
it is now colorblind friendly. And it's like, no, there's actually multiple forms of colorblindness. And this all looks the same shade of gray mm. for this other form of colorblindness. So, yeah. And I think there's, I think there are some guidelines for that. Aren't there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can, nowadays you can just toss your colors into a uh, online like thing and it'll show you what it looks yeah, like. Does Adobe have a, have something? Yeah, Adobe has one and uh coolers is another yeah. website that has one. So yeah, the one I'm working on now, I'll probably need to do that. I didn't think about that. I'm not sure. Yeah. Another solution too is uh, when in, and this this is uh, not always feasible, but m- the way to sometimes make a product that's accessible to everyone is to make multiple products. Yeah, it's the, the problem because somebody was just I was just reading on RPG on the RPG Zine group about doing mm-hmm. stuff for um, like an e reader. Right. Yeah. And then somebody said, "Well, you can do tables, but if you're going to do tables." You know, you don't want um, word wrap. Then you can do each cell individually, but you got to make sure it's all put into one section. It's like, I, you know, mm-hmm. it's like. <laughs> yeah. You almost want to just do a README file or something. Well, and some like, people just, yeah, do, I, you just, the PDFs, they'll just have read to them. So I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a lot of work. If you want to make it something that is genuinely accessible to everybody you, you got to do a lot of work to, to do that and I, I disagree with people who are like it's not it's not a lot of work it's, it is because if you want to do it right well i think if you don't have okay if you're doing a novel no big deal yeah but you start throwing graphics and tables in there then it's a big deal mm-hmm. and you know some of these some of these graphics that maybe you don't need to technically see like we talked about it Art, artist game design. So how are you helping convey something to someone? Who well, I think once you start? do an e-reader, you're giving that up. Yeah. You've lost the ability. Your formatting is all janky now. Yeah. Well, you start to, you have to get good at understanding how old text can be valuable. Like some people think that old text is like, oh, I'm just going to write exactly what the thing is. And it's like, no, you should, you should write what the thing is from an emotional standpoint. Like, so for instance, if it's uh, like, let's say it's like a red Rothko painting for some reasons in your art book, you can't just say, oh, it's a red, this red Rothko. <laughs> so that they're reads red Rothko. You got to say like big, immense, right. all encompassing red swatch of paint that is deep. So you know, my, like, my wife does subtitles because she did. Mm-hmm. And so, but some of the subtitles are pretty lacking or funny. Do you, do you watch no. shows with subtitles on at all? Yeah. yeah. Oh, all the time. <laughs> just, I only watch shows with subtitles. I mean, uh, English shows, not fancy, yeah, English not fancy shows. French shows. I'm talking the. No, 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 I'm not. I'm not really <laughs> indulging in the French New Wave on a regular. No, I, I, no, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll watch every all my shows on Netflix and stuff. I watch it then. Uh, yeah, but sometimes it's just like silly what they on. but they put. It's just like, you know, yeah. I, I don't. And other times it is helpful, but other times it's like that's not helpful at all. Yeah, I love it when they uh, they put in a description of like the music playing and they'll and like they'll say something like, "What did I watch recently? I watched Scarface recently for the first time, like ever." <laughs> it doesn't talk, end well. Talk, it doesn't end well for no. Me. no. <laughs> talk talk about a, a movie where representation's a little severely lacking. We're supposed to believe that uh, Al Pacino, who at the time was in his forties, is a young. Uh, Sir, machismo Cuban man, right? 
not buying it. <laughs> Such a sloppy movie. But they they have some really funny subtitles in there that are uh, a little. They 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 match with how sloppy the rest of the movie yeah. is. I didn't realize what kind of movie I was about to watch until uh, I got the eighty style montage with uh, "Push It to the Limit" as the song. <laughs> So, uh, it, it's such a weird movie. So, I th- but. for the last one, I think we'll end here for me. Yeah. Uh, I think it was Traveler New Era. Traveler New Era. So, I think there's a virus that hit. It. I tried to find my mm. copy. I couldn't find it. So, basically, a virus hits and just jacks up everything and all these different. So, you're familiar with the Traveler setting? The Imperium, the Third no. Imperium? This is just vast appearing no. with all these worlds and worlds and worlds and worlds. And, uh, but anyway, there's all of a sudden they're shut off for maybe a hundred years. And so worlds have got jacked up because, mm-hmm. and you can go back to worlds that have fallen to barbarism. Maybe they're all dead. Maybe there's some sort of exchange, but what's kind of was cool about it was it had a system that, that you could use to take existing travel worlds and then blow them up. Oh, that's amazing. I mean, that that that, that is why Traveler <laughs> got to people, right? Yeah. Like, that's why. It's it's those kind of things that make Traveler so special. But I thought, wow, that's kind of cool. Like, what, what, yeah. what if you were to say, you know what, this is the apocalypse, you know, we, we stated that, you know, maybe not post-apocalypse, but what is the apocalyptic situation for, you know, like Forgotten Realms, yeah. Here's a book. You're just going to blow it up. Here's some general things that happens. You want to know what's going on in a certain place? Just and 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 figure yeah, yeah. out what happened. Let's level water deep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what's, le- what's left afterwards? It's probably just the undermountain. To be honest, but yeah, you could you could maybe take a bunch of d sixes and you drop them do a table drop, and that's where all the craters are now. <laughs> yeah. Like- oh, I had that thought once before. I, I thought I always thought it'd be funny to have like a. Uh, I've had this brain worm in my head for a while where I want my players to be in a tavern and then for a weird sort of inner world portal anomaly to happen where it sends a bunch of cars from our world, just just flings them down onto the tavern and I would just throw D6s and whatever the numbers were would tell me whether or not the car that landed there was a station wagon or a... Corvette or a, you know a semi or whatever. I'd be fine. You know? Yeah, I always thought that I that's been in my head for way too long. I like just drop it onto the thing and be like, oh wow, it looks like a wood paneled station wagon just landed right on the barkeep. That sucks. <laughs> Alas, poor Yurik. I knew him well. Yeah, got hit by an old '70s gas guzzler. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if it had only been a, a you know Fiat instead, he might have survived. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if it had been a Fiat or a, one of those little Italian oh, uh, yeah. job cars, yeah, basically got hit with a bike, he'd be fine. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, that sounds like fun. So, yeah, I think I think there's not been many things to to apocalypsize stuff, but you know, and I think there's also you know uh, like. If, I don't know if we ever talked about Jorun. No. So, but I mean, you know, you can think of also even like situations where maybe you have a a science fiction setting where maybe you are on a world that you've inhabited, but maybe all of a sudden you're cut off and bad things happen 
and you can still have mm. the same type of things, but maybe, maybe now you're having to, you know, deal with the aliens now on a, a much different level. Like, so now you being the top dog, maybe now you're the small dog, right? <laughs> and you and you have That's to fun. work through and maybe that environment that you that that dome city that kept you protected. Now you don't have a dome city. Now you're you're suffering through the elements and and maybe have a reason to, to try and reestablish contact or build a ship or, or whatever. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, uh, this whole conversation made me realize that I probably could have about 20 things on a list. Well, cause I realized that eclipse phase would have been probably a pretty good candidate. We'll, we'll do, we'll do with, well, I don't think I'd be, well, we'll, we'll do a science fiction one next time. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. We can talk about science fiction for ages, and I can talk about uh, design, like physical design of a product with science fiction for sure. Okay, deal. Because that's because we can talk about Traveler, because Traveler's like famous for it, right? But then we can talk about like Mothership and games like that. Okay, well, Alien RPG from Free League. So I bought Cory. I actually got the physical Coriolis. Yeah. So when I read the Coriolis on PDF, I thought it was not very readable. And then when I got the book, it's like, oh, it's actually much more readable. Yeah. It's uh, better in print. <laughs> yeah. Like, so anyway, we'll say that for next time. Alien, uh, Coriolis, Traveler, Design, Layout, what 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 funnels things to Mothership, to that what kind of design that actually uh, leads to types of play, I think is where you're going for yeah and like what what kind of things can layout or typography or graphic design do to make running a sci-fi game easier because i think that is a genuine like challenge for some of these games well honestly i find most games aren't very like blades in the dark was terrible the way it's set up um Mm. have you played have you seen the module operation unfathomable yeah well, I tried running it from the PDF online, and I, it, I, I'm gonna have to order the, the physical copy. It's just like this is a map. This is a mess. The, I, I do love the game. It's a fun module. It though, is sure. right. I it, it is great in print too. I, uh, I I highly recommend. Yeah, definitely get. But, it you're, in make, but you're gonna have to suffer to get to it. But it's it's yeah. it's so full it's, of goodness. It, it's got one of those a really campy element that I love, but a lot of people hate. Which is I love a character breaking the fourth wall and talking to me, the reader. Yeah. And they get that one knight who's, who's just constantly bloviating about how absolutely wretched the, the, the underdark is. Yeah. yeah. It's, I love that. I think it's so good. It's very inspired. So basically I'm going to be running some teens through that. Oh, nice. Yeah. Good. <laughs> and their dad. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. So. Um, but anyway, fun. I'm going to order drive through RPG. You can they, they'll do the POD. So I don't I don't think there's any extant cop or copies for sale right now. Uh, probably not. You probably have to. That's what conventions are for. Well, yeah, I, I think the Kickstarter them. was they just did the print run and probably had a few extras and that was it. So the rest is POD. So anyway, that's right. So we better wrap it up. I think we're getting yeah. to the space yeah, time. I, uh, <laughs> uh, Continue. Time is collapsing in. Yes, exactly. Next thing we know, my own personal calamity is, is starting to begin. So, 
Well, for everyone who doesn't know, I, I got the, uh, the my second dose of the vaccination, so I, I'm on a timer before I just clonk out. You're right. You got to you got to finish everything hours. else that you want before it uh, before it hits. Yeah, yeah. Before yeah, before I'm basically just like dead to the world as I sleep. So when I got so I went to the doctor with uh, to get tested because my my work has very clear protocols. What happens if you have what you're supposed to do when you have symptoms? So I had symptoms, mm-hmm. very minor symptoms. I thought this is stupid. I'm going in for no good reason. I go in there and then I had, I had COVID. So I was like, I asked her, I was like, so do I just go home and just prepare for the worst? She's like, Oh, it may not be that bad. (laughs) (laughs) It was bad. bad. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Great. But, but uh, then I got my vaccine two weeks later and then that was bad. So but you may be right. fine. You've not had COVID, so you may just yeah. And, I, and I'm I'm told uh, the Pfizer's uh, treating people better than uh, maybe Moderna oh, has. Goodness. Yeah, but I got my first dose, and you know, it just made me tired. And I'm I'm that I'm that way most times. Well, so here's what I will say: no, no difference. If it, even even as bad as my second dose was, it was much better than having COVID. It was three. I'll just say it was three weeks mm. of yeah. being jacked up one way or another. Yeah. What my uh, roommate before I moved uh, told me, uh, I don't know if I would want the vaccination. I got it and I got a fever and I was like, I'm almost certain this is, this is better than the, than, than COVID. If, if, if you're having a hard time with the vaccination, I promise you this, it was worth, well worth the, the, oh, the yeah. experience. In fact, my symptoms were worse, I think with the vaccine, but they didn't last as long, but it was, it mm. was basically two days of not great. And one day of so yeah. so, and that was still much better than the COVID. Yeah, overall. I believe it. Uh, so anyway, well, good All luck right, with well, that, Mister. Hope you hope you yeah. have minimal symptoms. And, yeah, I, I'm I'm sure it'll be fine, and you know, it'll, it'll all pass. Whatever, it's good. It is. <laughs> but uh, it, it's been a pleasure as always to be on uh, the show. Love just uh, rambling with you. Yeah, exactly. So all, we all we, we fulfilled RPG the team. obligation of the show is to ramble, right? Yeah, we, we've yeah you 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 set a really good objective, <laughs> yeah. like it's a good solid achievable objective. Yeah, I shouldn't have to apologize to you because that's that's kind of what's on the on the on the tin. It's yeah, it's it's on the docket, <laughs> so we're good to go. But anyway, uh, thanks again. Sure. Till next time. Yep. Take care.